everything that football folk is doing. Last week they had Brady. This week they got Brady. We're doing it. We're literally doing it differently from everybody else. As a matter of fact, moving forward from this point on, I will not make reference to PFL. Do you not understand that they are that way because you're Joe Flacco? And you just like to discredit things that people deserve credit for. That you can't possibly be expected to defend that. Talk about the game, Sam. So Who cares about what people think about us? Yeah, I like football, I like football season, all the things that go with it. Welcome into the PFF NFL podcast. Steve Pelizzolo, Sam Monson here, and we are ready to fix your team, AFC South. How hard could it be? And AFC West. Got to mute the phone first. Can't can't forget that. That's good. Yeah. yeah. No, hold your calls. We're here for mm-hmm. a long a long time. Gotta Saddling. be professional here. Mute the phone. Saddle up. So, um, the for, last week or Monday, we fixed the AFC East and the AFC North. Go check that out. Whether you're an AFC East fan or not, AFC mm. North fan or not, because we got into all sorts of yeah stuff. The original premise was to fix every team in five minutes after a at least 10-minute uh, digression into Alabama quarterbacks and Tua and Mac Jones. We extended it a little bit. I, I actually had a, a, a discussion about that on radio today. Somebody brought it up. There's a guy named Dave Bartu who is a name. Uh, he does some college football analytics and this and that. Uh, quirky guy was how he was described to me I've, I've seen some of his stuff and whatever but his basic analysis on evaluating qbs for the nfl is basically don't take guys from blue blood programs don't just take don't them. take the guys from alabama and usc and to be fair if you did that historically you you'd be okay i think over time you'd miss on like a tom brady you'd well, yeah. miss on a carson palmer you would or maybe miss on Kyler many Martin. of the best quarterbacks of all time Peyton Manning, but but Peyton Manning, recent, Tom Brady, John Elway. But in recent time, when you see guys like the Drew Breeses of you know coming out of Purdue or Dak, he Joe was a Montana. big Dak guy. I'm, I don't know how far back you wanted to go with this, <laughs> but but that's his basic premise and all the stuff that we were analyzing. Let's not get down the rabbit hole. So I think okay. here's how we should name it. Now we're gonna we're gonna do eight teams yeah, on this. Five show. minutes is not sensible. We're gonna say fixing your team in like. 30 minutes show. or less, whatever it is, whatever the, whatever the longest team is that we spend time on, we'll do that, that number of minutes or less. We'll Fixing your team within the confines of this podcast, however long it runs. Oh, that's a good one. There you go. Yeah. We need a couple more sentences. The team will be fixed by the end of this podcast. We're just not going to tell you how long that's going to take. So we decided, and you called an audible right in the middle of the show, like, Hey, Forget the five-minute thing. We're getting into it. Yeah. So we're going to give every team when you're the ankle, love. When you're ankle-deep into a discussion during a Miami Dolphins or a Mac Jones discussion during a Miami Dolphins segment, you it's don't probably time it. to sacrifice the five-minute uh, benchmark. You don't cut it out. So we're going to use the draft. We're going to use free agency. We're going to send Will Fuller to every team. Mm-hmm, That's mm-hmm. how we're going to do it. We're going to fix your team. We're going to start in the AFC South with the Houston Texans. Oh, man. So this will take – this might take a while. Speaking of Will Fuller. I don't think they should get Will Fuller. No, I don't. Get that meme away from me, podcast meme guy. Where is he? What's his? I keep forgetting. He's trying to send. He's trying at, to send at NFL underscore PFF is PFF NFL podcast memes guy. 
who emailed us recently as well. Now that the mailbag is open, it's by got the a real way. name and everything. What's our mailbag address? It's NFL Podcast at pff.com. The mailbag is now open. We have an email address for this podcast specifically. If you email it, it will arrive in the inbox of myself and Steve. I have technology. I've arranged mine so that it doesn't like pop up on my main inbox, but is like squirreled away to the side. What? How do you so do that? So that I don't get swamped with them all. So I just drag them into a separate podcast. Well, mine's folder. automatically done because I'm really? smart. Really? Yeah. You're going to have to show me how to do that. Okay. Anyway, you can email us NFL podcast at singular, singular podcast at pff.com. Send us some mail. Make it interesting. You know, there's a lot of like one line questions. Those are good. Yep. We'll use those when, when there's no NFL going on and we have to talk about something. Um, but if you send us something longer, something with some thought behind it, some, you know, some real wordplay in there, we might. Uh, that's what you really want. That's huh? it's what I, I thought. Want. They were fine questions. Don't some of them. Some of them. I'm just saying. Our look, listeners, they were all great. Set your sights high. Aim for oh. greatness, and you might come up short. But we'll, you know, that's how you get. That's how you get the best stuff. So anyway, there's no such thing as a bad podcast email. meme guy. Emailed us. He also sends memes mocking you and, and Will Fuller. So uh, yeah. So Will Fuller's current team, mm-hmm. the Houston Texans. It's a mess everywhere. We got to start with the Deshaun Watson discussion. On the last show, we said the Dolphins' best case scenario and more that they're essentially the most realistic team yep. to make a move for Deshaun Watson. Let's view this from the Houston Texans standpoint. What's their best case scenario here? Is it holding on to Deshaun Watson or coming back with a massive haul in return for him? I mean, I think ultimately their best, um, the best option that they could. The best result would be that they somehow repair a relationship with Deshaun Watson and move forward with one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL, already signed to a long-term contract, and then just accept that you're going to suck for another year or so and try and rebuild this thing around him. Um, I don't think that's a realistic option, though, because he wants the hell away, and I just don't think you can patch that back together. Neither do I think that you can win by playing hardball and just try and wait him out. He's prepared to sit out games, apparently, He's already been paid, like he has the money. So you can't just, he's not one of these players that's living paycheck to paycheck. And as soon as the checks stop turning up, he's in trouble. Deshaun Watson is fine. Like He can sit out and wait for you to cave. It's not a problem for him. So I don't see any way this goes other than them having to accept a deal at some point. And, you know, the NFL, like deadline spur action or whatever that thing Andrew Brandt likes to say is. At some point when we approach the draft and that's the big, that's the big deadline when these picks turn into something else. That's when a move has to happen. Apparently, the Chicago Bears have the best offer on the table right now. Really? Yeah. Mr. Uh, Mr. Big Splash this, this offseason, a quarterback. The Bears apparently. I told you. They have an offer that apparently is nowhere near anybody else, and Houston isn't accepting it. Well, given the fact that the Bears don't have the best draft capital out of the teams that would be in the mix, the mm-hmm. Jets or the Tex- or the Dolphins or or the Broncos, whatever it might be. The fact that the Bears have the best offer, that has to be like their next four first-round picks, yeah, I assume, I mean, in their entire draft this year. Like, I, what is that? I can't remember where I read the report or the, the exact details, but they were basically saying that nobody nobody has come or, or is, nobody w- would come close to the deal that Chicago is offering right now, which suggests to me partly what you're saying, that, that it's – kind of crazy in terms of its multiple years worth of first round picks but i think you can only trade like three years in advance right you can only go x number of right. years into the future yes but the other thing it suggests to me is that miami and new york are not in the discussion because they can match that both of those teams right so 
to me, it suggests the they one can, but do they want to? That's what I'm saying. So to me, it suggests both those things. The one that Chicago is putting a fairly crazy offer out there. And two, that Miami and New York are not on the phone and not in a serious way in this discussion, which I think for both of them is a mistake, but that seems to be where they are. You say Watson has money and all that stuff. I, I don't do. know if I completely buy that. I don't know that he really has that much leverage. I mean, if, if you sit out... All of the leverage. If all of it. If you sit out, it's still... Is it, would he put leave $15.9 on the table for this year? To get out, yes. That's not really leverage. That's not getting leverage. paid money. He not makes a bank. He goes somewhere else. He gets out of Houston, and he's done. No, because... They could call his bluff and, and let him sit. Like he would. You think that the Houston Texans are going to let their franchise quarterback rot outside of the team just to make the point that this is not a like? It's, I'm just saying it's a possibility. It's not all the leverage. The point anyway. is, even if they play, even if they do that, even if they say, "All right, we're calling your bluff. We are gonna, we're gonna let you wait it out, and you're gonna sit there earning no money away from the team while we win zero games." and the whole thing descends into a farce. They're still gonna have to move him at the end. They're not gonna win. Like, he's not going to go, oh, yeah, well, now that you've made that point, okay, I'm in. Like, <laughs> all it's going to do is sour relations even more, poison the well even further, and you're still going to have to trade him for whatever crappy deal is on the table. Do you think they figure it out? I think they figure it out in terms of eventually they will accept somebody's trade offer. Oh, really? Yeah. So I'm, There's no way this thing's getting put back together again. I'm always so optimistic and thinking he's just going to be back there. Yeah. All right, well, let's go through these two scenarios. Even if he's back there, Here's what here's what the issue is in Houston, and also probably part of the reason Watson wants out, besides all the, you know, personal stuff that's come up. In 2022, he's got a cap. That's when his cap number jumps up from 15.9 to over 40. So so it'll be over 40 for the next two years. Rough estimate as far that'll be like 17, 18 percent of the cap mm -hmm. in 2022. So you're talking about a roster right now that might be the worst in the NFL outside of the quarterback. Like, if they had an average quarterback, they're the Jets last year, right? I mean, they're they're barely – or they're the Jacks. They're, like, barely winning a game. I mean, they're barely there. They were basically there anyway. They won four games right. with one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL. Exactly. So, the roster's bad. J.J. Watt's out, too. Makes it even worse. And they don't have a first-round pick this year, right? They're still playing from behind when it comes to draft capital. Or second, right? They have a – they have a no, – no first or second. They have one day two pick, seven on day three. There you go. We'll get a hit on those day three picks. Um, so the roster's bad and there's just no real end in sight. I mean, this is really like a three-year rebuild because of that. Maybe the Texans best option is to trade Deshaun Watson and get three first round picks and two players or whatever that return would be. Right. Maybe that is actually their best option, which is crazy to think about, but if they can't get out of this hole until 2023, say when Watson, you know, when Watson's already making up a huge chunk of that cap, like they don't have the draft capital to do it. They don't have the money to get out of this hole. That might be their best option to actually start from scratch and rebuild and, and try to find another quarterback. Yeah. The problem is <clears throat> that you're going to need to spend, you're going to need to spend some of it on finding another quarterback. Yeah. If it was any other position, I think you could make that case a lot better that look, this thing is a mess. It doesn't matter how good this player is. If they had Aaron Donald sitting there, I think you could much easier make it a case that, hey, look, all we're going to do is squander the next two years of Aaron Donald anyway. We should move him, get multiple first-round picks, try and make a bigger dent on this disaster and move on. But because it's a quarterback, you've already found the jackpot. 
you have found the elite, blue-chip, outstanding, incredible quarterback that everybody is chasing. This is like the holy grail of team building. Okay, you're in a terrible spot now that you've got him, but if you move him, you might raise the level of everything else, but now you need to go back to the drawing board and find that guy again, which is like it's, it's, hitting, a, it's hitting a lottery win. It's just, it's not going to happen. So I, I, don't, I don't see there's any way that you get better by trading him away. I think you just have to accept that you've already screwed this up. Like you've, you've, you've made a balls of it. Like you had, you had the winning lottery ticket and somehow you've like, it, it went through the wash, right? You left it in your jeans pocket. It's now just this crumpled mess. So now you've just got to move on. There's no way, there's no repairing the ticket. You're done. You just have to get where you can and start over. All right. Do you want to do you want to anticipate a Watson trade or him staying with the Texans? Trade. All he right. is being traded. I will be prepared to bet you. I will be prepared to buy you out of your Brandon Graham bet for however long that's going to go on. All right. For Let's the for Deshaun Watson being traded or not. I've won what one of the three years in the Brandon Graham yes. deal or two one out of four whatever uh-huh. it's been. All right, so I think Watson's going to stay, but let's let's anticipate him getting traded. That will free up some cap space as well, potentially. Well, um, there'll there'll be a lot of dead money there too. I mean, that's the other issue <laughs> is the Texans having to eat so much dead money. So that's those are the two things working against why the Texans don't want to trade him: dead money and you know he's a good quarterback. Of course, they don't want to trade him. The problem is you've already ruined it. Like that's the problem. Like. This wouldn't be an issue if Deshaun Watson was happy to stay and teams were throwing like people have arguments and brothers fight and that stuff happens all the time. They'll they'll figure it out. Uh-huh. So okay, they trade Deshaun Watson. They also have guys like guys who are making over seven million dollars for a twenty twenty one cap number: Eric Murray, David Johnson, Bradley <laughs> Roby, Randall Cobb. Like out of that just... group, Bradley Roby's <laughs> the one that you would want to hold on to and say like Roby would actually bring you back $8 million of cap space. But you want a Bradley Roby on this team because you would you'd go to free agency and try to find a Bradley Roby. Out of that group, that's like the guy that you would want to hold on to. Eric Murray, you can't really release. There's no cap savings there. David Johnson, uh, there's cap savings, but they're trying to restructure him there. But it's, it's just a mess. The entire thing is a mess. It's actually incredible. It, like You look at each one of these sort of <laughs> current bad problems that they have, and it's like a, a look into the past at the previous screw-up. It's like, oh, look, the bad contracts that they're currently sitting on. Oh, there's Eric Murray that was a terrible contract when you signed it. Hey, let's spend big money on a guy that's never been particularly good in the secondary. That'll work out. Or the David, like it traces back to the David Johnson deal. We just restructure this to free up some camp space, essentially because releasing him would look terrible. Like, we, There's no way we can release him. All that will do is highlight how bad trading DeAndre Hopkins for a bag of peanuts and a running back's bloated contract was. So we'll restructure the contract, keep him in the building, and hope nobody notices that. Like, it's actually incredible how badly managed this this thing has been. Let's skew positive now. Is Look, there a skew? Is yes. There, what's here, the positive? Here, there's you're, nothing positive you're Mr. about what's Positivity. Happened. Sell this to me. I'm not selling anything. I'm just trying to give solutions here. Okay. So let's go through the potential solutions. The the offense isn't that bad, right? They just released Zach Martin. Uh, I'm sorry, Nick Martin, starting center. Overall, the offensive line is really good from a pass blocking standpoint. Now, believe it or not, they've improved. Not very good from a run blocking standpoint. So there's still a little bit of work to do there. Will Fuller, I don't want him to be in Houston. 
Okay. So all of the 31 teams can sign him. They still have Brandon Cooks, Randall Cobb, who I mentioned making all that money. But So there's still maybe a little bit of work to do at receiver. But the defense is what needs the complete overhaul. When you say the offense isn't that bad, <laughs> what if you remove Deshaun Watson from it? Then it's pretty bad. <laughs> so you have an average offensive line. I, I'm saying like relative to the defense. Like let's say relative to the defense. Okay. So just guys who are slated to play potentially along the defensive line. PFF grades from last year now that J.J. Watt is out. I'm just going to read the grades. 56, 52, 35, 46, 35, 30. There's nothing over 56 there for P.J. Hall, Charles Amenihu, Brandon Dunn, Carlos Watkins, Andrew Brown, Ross Blacklock. Those, the defensive line needs an influx. I'm going to give them guys like Dietrich Wise in free agency. So I think they're, so, yeah, they should be looking at – To sum up, right, they have no money or draft picks to play with. They have some money. They have like $60 million right now. 60? 16. 16. After releasing Nick Martin. Then there's more potential. There's more potential there. I mean, a little so, bit. That's not a lot of money. Over the cap. I'm a, over the cap's got the updated numbers, I believe. Uh, over the cap Nobody has cares. them at... 16. Where the hell are the Texans? Yeah, 16.2 million. Yeah, so there's some money. You could always find some money. So I'm saying I would look at the PFF free agent list, and I'm, I'm just looking at edges and defensive interior players. So I, you know, I suggest you guys use the board the same way we do here. Sort by players. So you're I basically think guys talking like, a bunch of like cheap gambles and hoping some of them pan. Yeah, and, and guys that fit that bill would be like Sheldon Rankins is number 105 on our list. I think would be fantastic. And Dietrich Wise would be really, really good. So I'm trying to think of guys that have some youth and you know have multiple years in there. So not like the Justin Houstons of the world or not the Kwan Shorts or the Jarrell Casey's of the world. I think that they're, they're great for contenders. Let's... Where do uh, so let's first uh, for a minute um, assume that Deshaun Watson does get traded because I think it's going to happen. Sure, <laughs> and therefore I don't care what you think. Uh, if he gets traded, that changes the dynamics substantially because now um, you're not now you actually have something to play with. Granted, you no longer have a quarterback, presumably, but you at least have some resources now to try and patch this whole thing back together again. So they still don't have a ton of money, and, and but they're going to have some draft picks. Um, one in the first round, though it's not going to be a high one because Chicago, if Chicago is the team, Chicago picks number 20. So they're going to get number 20. They'll have their own pick. So they're still probably right, sorry, not going to get one pick. of the top five quarterbacks in the draft. No. So what do you do now, right? Chicago, you trade Deshaun Watson to Chicago. You get number 20. You probably have Trubisky coming back with you, with them. Oh, with God, the picks. you think? Yeah. I mean, it's no, it's Trubisky's a free agent, right? No. He's got one year. He's got his fifth year. He didn't pick up the fifth year option, right? I'm sorry. Yeah, he's a free agent. So he's a free agent. So Nick Foles on, is coming Steve, back. Anybody's coming back. Yeah, so it's Foles backing up right. Watson. So Foles maybe. No, no but Foles Houston. might be the quarterback that's coming back in the deal, if anybody, because Trubisky can't. Foles becomes your bridge quarterback. Yes. So you, you got pick number 20, presumably a, a ton of future picks, but there can't be that much in the present. What are you doing now to fix it? If I have Nick, so I, first off, I wouldn't trade with the Bears. There's just not, I, I have to trade with the Jets or the Dolphins because then I'm assured of either Zach Wilson. Yeah, you're essentially Justin saying that the Bears, the Bears are not capable of putting an offer on the table that you would be willing to accept. No. Which is, I think it's is not. a reasonable standpoint to because, take. Because then the Texans get put in the same position. We just, we spent an hour talking about the Patriots' horrible quarterback situation trying to figure out their next guy. This is why. And you're dealing with the same list of players. This is why, to me, the Miami thing just makes so much sense. It's unbelievable because Miami can give you two different options 
at quarterback. Chicago can't give you one. Like they, they are literally not capable yeah. of putting an offer on the table that gets you a viable quarterback going forward. You're saying if Miami trades with you, you're you're deciding between Tua. Yeah, Miami can and give you in Zach Wilson or Justin Fields or whoever that yeah. probably Fields. Miami can give you the Trey number Lance. three overall pick, which you used to own, and um and Tua at the same time, plus a bunch of other bells and whistles to the deal. Right. So you have multiple options to replace Deshaun Watson. Now you might go zero and two for those options. Neither of the guys might work out. And you're still screwed. But Chicago can't even put an option on the table. Like, they can give you Nick Foles and say, hey, at number 20, Mac Jones might be there. So, man, this is just a mess here. If I'm in Houston's building, though, like, let's, why don't we just assume they make the Miami deal since you think it's so? Because if Chicago has by far the best offer on the table, it means Miami doesn't have an offer on the table. I'm not taking Chicago's they're offer. not interested. I'm just not doing it. All right. What else? What would they do with the number 20? We're struggling to fix them. Yeah. You notice that? What would they do at number 20? I think from a value standpoint, cornerback would make sense. So so I, I gave you some defensive line options. Yes. So let's – Watson aside. Yeah. Say you bring in a Dietrich Wise. Say you bring in a Sheldon Rankins. All right, we're at least moving in the right direction from a defensive line standpoint. And many who's at least shown some flashes. All right, you got some pieces there. Linebacker's not terrible. Secondary needs a complete overhaul as well. That has been really bad over the last two years. I think cornerback – is good value in the 20s if you do end up picking there whether it's jc horn from south carolina i don't know where the nfl values him against us asante samuel a playmaker we have at number 29 on our board there's a couple corners that do make sense there should they uh, do what the jags did last year which is essentially draft a bunch of um raw toolsy high upside guys knowing that you're going to suck next year tank for trevor etc but the next year is when that actually might pay off because these guys will have a year of NFL experience. They'll, you know... I don't know that that was actually the Jags' strategy. I think they just happened to get two guys that we thought were that, which was C.J. Henderson and Caleb on Chase on, who were both toolsy upside type of guys. I think they just thought that they were really good defensive first-round picks. Okay. So I don't know that that was the strategy. Just get as many good players as possible. But fixing the Texans involves more specifically getting good players on the defensive line Good players in the secondary, really huge. Linebackers okay for now with Cunningham and Benardrick McKinney, though McKinney could be on the trading block as well in this during this rebuild. You do have to look at offensive line a little bit, and then if Will Fuller is gone, wide receiver does become another option. I would look at receiver maybe a little bit rounds two and three. Well, they don't have two, but are the Texans, later in the draft. Are they the worst team in the NFL in terms of fixing? Minus yes. Watson. If you don't have Deshaun Watson, is this the hardest team in the league to fix? It is with Watson, I think, <laughs> is the problem. I mean, it really is. I see with Watson, I think you've got you've Watson because Watson gives you the same kind of margin for error. Not quite the same, but very similar margin to error to what we've been talking about with the Chiefs, which is you're so close with Watson. All you need is the other things in the roster to just not be disastrous. Like, you need to go from the worst defense in the NFL to a bottom third defense somewhere. Like you don't even need to get average. You just need to not suck. And that is achievable pretty quickly, like doing what you've been talking about, which is just throw a bunch of gambles at low, reasonable value, cheap, upside-free agents, hope a couple of them pan out. If they do, you've taken massive steps forward over the disastrous grades you've just been reading out. I mean, that's gotta, like, that has to be achievable. If you don't have Watson, I mean, God... It's and in theory, Nick Nick Casario's there coming over from New England. New England, we've always talked about they're like 
you know, they're kind of the, the best at getting those middle-class free agents. You're thinking, yeah, maybe we're rethinking that a little bit right now, but Kyle Van Noy is out there too. Is there a Nick Casario connection? Are they, they're another team. I think can grab some of the guys that get released, grab some of the Sheldon Rankins of the world, Dietrich Wises of the world and get that thing back on track. That's step one. I don't think the Texans get fixed in one year. I would try to hold on to Watson at all costs though. If you don't, you get a billion draft picks. Yep. And there's no you just just get good players. I mean that's the, just get as many good players as possible at all positions because that's what you need. I mean, I think what you said Fixed. is is very fair that if you're going to move to Sean Watson, it has to be to a team that gives you some kind of chance at replacing him. Right. You you, you can't take an offer from the Bears because they they're not capable of doing that. They cannot they cannot put an offer on the table that gets you a, an even sensible replacement for Deshaun Watson. Here's here's even more what right. Whoever you trade Watson to is going to have a way lower draft pick than you want. Right. So, so even if Chicago so if you, gives you every first round pick for the next couple of years, none of them are going to be in the top five, so they're useless to you. It's unlikely. I mean, Watson did just play for a team that was in the top five. Oh, a team way worse than Chicago, though. But yes, all all we you have to assume that future first round picks are going to be fifteen or Chicago lower, just probably made in the twenties. Playoffs with Mitchell Trubisky and Nick Foles at quarterback. <sighs> yeah, so trade with the right team. Fixed ish. <laughs> Not even close to being fixed. The this tune is, in next year when we really fix the Houston Texans. This is the first right. team in multiple years of doing this that we can't fix. The the Texans are beyond fixing. Hashtag how hard can it be? This is why I didn't get the job. Yeah, hashtag how hard can it be? Turns my, out really hard. My interview with the Texans didn't go well because I'm sitting there with my PowerPoint and I'm like, look, look, guys, you screwed up so badly, even I can't fix yeah, this. I came in with, with gr- dreams. I came in with hopes and dreams. And the more I talked it out, the more I realized that, you know what? You guys have just blown this thing up too badly. I can't piece it back together again. It's right. done. Houston, done. Let's go to the Indianapolis Colts. The Colts <sighs> get Carson Wentz. That was their big move. We thought... Coming into this year, okay, the Colts are the team. They've got a playoff caliber roster. Who's their quarterback going to be? Did they get into a desperate situation where they had to make this move for Wentz? Again, going back to this New England and Washington football team and Bears situation, it's just not an attractive quarterback market. Is Wentz at least the right move for this team right now? Um, I don't know if it's the right move, but I don't hate it. I understand why they did it. They had the space in terms of salary cap to make it happen and not suffer because of it. You know, there were teams out there that, that if they had taken on the Carson Wentz contract and he hadn't worked out, it would have crippled them. Even if, even if Carson Wentz is a disaster and the Colts have to move on pretty quickly, it doesn't torpedo the franchise long-term other than, you know, just not having a quarterback. Like salary cap wise, it isn't, it doesn't ruin them. Um, so I understand that, look, there was a very real scenario that we painted out a few uh, podcasts ago where the music stops, the Colts are standing there with no chair and no quarterback and going into a season with a uh, playoff caliber roster and nobody there to steer the ship. So I get it. I understand why they made the move and maybe it'll work out. You know, maybe Frank Reich um, reunited with Carson Wentz get something like his best play back out of him, repairs the damage done over the last couple of years, and they have a viable quarterback. I don't know how likely that is, but look, they have a quarterback now, and they have some salary cap space to play with, and they still have draft picks to play with. This is a team currently reasonably well-positioned to sort of re- to build around Carson Wentz and at least give him the best situation to succeed in. 
All right, well, let's do that, right? So they have, they're number four in cap space, over $40 million available right now. They have a couple free agents that are important. Justin Houston, who I mentioned earlier, he's number 118 on our free agent board right now because he's, he's 32. He's, he's a good player. He's just getting a little bit older. Malik Hooker is the interesting one, former first-round pick, still only 25. Been injured and probably you know underachieved a little bit at safety. Marlon Mack is a free agent. Uh, Xavier Rhodes is a free agent. Of that group, I think only Xavier Rhodes is the player that they don't have a current solution on the roster. Also, T.Y. Hilton. T.Y. Hilton, sorry. I almost forgot about T.Y. So, T.Y. they don't have. Even if T.Y. was coming back, receivers receivers a spot. Last year at this time, I was saying the Colts are a prime candidate to double up at wide receiver. You know how much I love that in the Mm -hmm. draft. They only got Michael Pittman, um, which is a good start, I think. Receiver is going to be the place that they have to go. So I think corner to replace Xavier Rhodes needs to be a key a key spot. Continue to add to the D-line where they've built a little bit of depth there, but receiver's the spot, right? So now, are you looking to the 2017 Eagles, the Carson Wentz pinnacle season, and thinking, that was the year eight, Alshon Jeffrey. We had one of the <laughs> – Nelson Aguilar had one of his two good years in mm-hmm. his five years in the league, who's also a free agent. Yep. Maybe a you know, reunion there. Do you look at that receiving core, the multiple tight ends, and say, we're going to go get Zach Ertz. We're, we're going to trade with the Eagles again and try to get Zach Ertz, or maybe he gets released and he becomes our guy. We're going to get an Aguilar. We're going to draft a guy or two. How are you building this receiving core around Wentz? Is there a uh, speedy wide receiver that could potentially replace T.Y. Hilton that jumps to mind for you, Steve? There's not. I don't think that's a good fit. Oh. I don't, oh. I don't, think, uh, I don't think Will Fuller's a good fit for the Colts. So huh. only the other 30 teams. <laughs> Stop trying to get this meme on the air here. Would you have uh, Would you have thought that if someone hadn't pointed out that you were mocking him? To I every, might be a little self conscious. Um, yeah, look, I, I agree. I think that wide receiver is is obviously a need. And again, I agree whether or not Ty Hilton was coming back or not. And honestly, I don't know that the market for a Ty Hilton is going to be amazing this year. He might end up going back there anyway, and then they they just need to add bodies to that group. Uh, it, it is it's such an interesting wide receiver group in free agency because we assume that the top three names who are the sort of true number ones are probably all going to get franchise tagged or at least not hit the open market in any meaningful way chris godwin alan robinson kenny galladay which leaves you with will fuller as our number one receiver in free agency you don't love that as a fit that's fine um but then you're down to guys like you know Corey davis or more slot tight slot oriented options like curtis samuel nelson aguilar um and they don't or do you they, use Aguilar more outside as a deep threat like the Raiders just did sure it's, it, it's not that they don't fit it just becomes a much more complicated issue or evaluation for this Colts team um it's a great draft as well for wide receivers and of course the other problem that the Colts have to figure out is left tackle like Anthony Costanzo retires there's been talk of moving um Episode 58. Quentin Nelson outside. We've covered that in our... Uh, Episode 58 of the PFF NFL Daily. I also wrote an Daily. article. Also talked about it with Joe Thomas briefly on last show, show before that, whenever it yeah. was. Uh, we don't think they should do that, so they need to find a left tackle. Um, and, of course, course, cornerback. So it's not that they don't have holes, and the holes are in pretty important positions. Wide receiver, left tackle, cornerback. Those are arguably the three most important non-quarterback positions in the NFL, um, but they have the resources to get it done. They have a lot of money. They have draft picks to play with, whether or not they 
use them in the draft or use them to trade for a guy like Orlando Brown. So I kind of yeah. like where they're positioned. They just need to actually make the moves. So let's start penciling in some names. All right. So I'll, I'll, let me give you two scenarios here. Two different ways the Colts could go in the first round. Okay. The wide receiver route could be interesting. Number 18 on our draft board is Rashad Bateman from Minnesota. Again, I don't know where the NFL values him. He just ran 4-3-7 uh, or whatever it was at his like pro day. everybody else. Right. Everybody's going to run in the 4-3s. 6-2, good route runner. Um, Colts pick at number 21. Let's say they draft a Rashad Bateman and they sign Nelson Aguilar. Okay. Okay. Aguilar plays the slot role that he played in Philadelphia in Frank Reich's system. Bateman is a big outside receiver with some speed. Michael Pittman is a big outside receiver with some speed. That moves former second-round pick Paris Campbell to the number four option, which I love. He becomes your jet sweep, gimmick guy, and all that stuff. You've got four legitimate threats at wide receiver. Maybe you work a deal for Zach Ertz at some point. There's there's your offense. There's as close to the 2017 Eagles as you can get. Bateman's kind of playing that. Alshon Jeffrey role or Pittman is kind of in the – but you've got, I think you've got legitimate weapons for mm -hmm. Wentz there. The problem there goes to the offensive line. That left tackle spot that you mentioned that we broke down in the on the daily, left tackle is probably a more realistic first-round option for the Colts. So if they don't go Bateman, the, th the conclusion I came to in my Quentin Nelson article was keep him at left guard. Yeah. Right? But you have to complement him with at least a reasonable left tackle. Your best option is almost certainly in the draft uh, because you're probably not going to spend a ton of money in free agency on some of the other tackles there. So I think their best options, first-round tackle, Christian Darasaw from Virginia Tech would be great. Tevin Jenkins maybe from Oklahoma State. And all the, the starters we keep listing for tackle needy teams, Dylan Radon, Samuel Cosme, Alex Leatherwood. I think Christian Darasaw from Virginia Tech is in that like best-case scenario range. Mauling left tackle to put next to Quentin Nelson. Um, and then you just have to get more. Then you probably have to get, just get a receiver a little bit later in the draft. Yeah, I, I really like Bateman to that to the Colts in that um, with that number one pick for them. I think that's a really nice fit. There's also the option that they flip a first round pick to Baltimore for Orlando Brown Jr. and play him at left tackle. I don't hate that as a scenario. I think there would be a lot like the DeForest Buckner trade that they made. Right, it's one that on paper in a vacuum you'd be like, eh, I mean, it's a little bit too much too much draft pick too much money committed to him on the other hand it is a significant upgrade over their current situation and it makes them a lot better and again they have they're they have enough resources that they can absorb the sort of the overpay and not have it be a problem so the forest buckner worked out fantastically if you look back now you'd say all right then they pretty much nailed that one they did the same thing for orlando brown i think you'd probably be looking at it the same you'd be like yeah like he's He's been a good left tackle for them. And sure, they paid him a lot and they sent a first-round pick. But with the prospect of not having that and maybe drafting a guy that sucked year one, it's worth it, I think. The other option for them that I'm really intrigued by is, like, how win now do you think that this team is in terms of, like, outlook and MO? Um, because Trent Williams is probably going to hit free oh, agency. Man. And he'll want to get paid. And again, the Colts have money to pay. Do you just say, all right, let's let's bring in Trent Williams, three years, like $20 million a year to be our left tackle, solved. Now we've got the first round pick and we can go Rashad Bateman or we can do whatever we want with that. Maybe we can you know, trade that for 
a tag and trade option like the Bears to Allen Robinson. Like that gives you options. Now you can start playing. That's an aggressive with move. That. The, so the problem with Trent Williams for big money is Quentin Nelson's got to get paid very soon. Sure. Braden Smith at right tackle has. To, they came in together. He has to get paid very soon. Ryan Kelly either has to get paid soon or walk the starting center. So just trying to keep. I think they're going to go into next year. If they get a reasonable left tackle, they might be the best on-paper offensive line up there with the Browns going into mm -hmm. next year again. Just to keep that really good offensive line together is going to be a challenge financially. I will go back to you know Wentz's success. He had good success as a rookie in front of that great Eagles offensive line. He was playing behind one of the better offensive lines for the majority of his career. And I think the Browns is a good team to bring up because I think this offseason is very like last offseason for Cleveland in terms of let's start ticking off things that could cause problems for the quarterback. Let's fix the offensive line. Let's make sure he has weapons. Let's solve all of the issues that were potentially also a problem causing Baker Mayfield to play worse last year. I think the Colts have got to do a very similar thing to um, for Carson Wentz. Let's make sure that the other things that can influence his play are not excuses so that whatever we're dealing with here is like pure distilled Carson Wentz so we at least know what to fix. So for them, I think there is value in the certainty of fixing left tackle, um, which is either a Trent Williams or an Orlando Brown as opposed to drafting somebody in the first round. I just think it's a more of a gamble to take the draft pick and the, the less um, sure thing than it is to say, look, let's just fix this spot. We don't care if we overpay. We don't care if it's too much money or if it causes some knock-on effects down the line. Let's just make sure when we roll into 2021, we can't go, yeah, but left tackle's an issue. Maybe that's causing Carson Wentz. You know, solve it. Oh, that's aggressive. Trent. First off, I mean, I tweeted this the other day and people loved it. T Trent Williams is maybe the best run blocking left tackle in the league. Quentin Williams, uh, Quentin Nelson is by far the best run blocking left guard in the league. Yep. That would be like when Nelson and McGlinchey were together at Notre Dame just crushing college opponents. It would be fun to watch. I mean, I'd be all in on that. Uh, Jonathan Taylor would absolutely love it. So you've got the run game. So you have all these different ways to win. You can run win with the run game a little bit with your run blocking and a pretty good back. I think that would open up the it – it would take away the need to draft a tackle in the first round. Mm -hmm. And you can get either the best corner or receiver there because, you know, that's all we care about. Receivers and corners, that's a fascinating so way that's, to look at it. That's the other issue is that if you don't address it in free agency or with a trade, you do put yourself in that spot of needing to draft a first-round left tackle, which is just risky. I, to me, free agency and trades are where you address needs, and yes. the draft is where you just – add talent yep if you roll into the draft needing or having a need that you have to address i think you you're just setting yourself up for failure particularly when you don't pick really high you know if you pick in the top five and you have a glaring need okay we can work with that because at least you've got a reasonable guarantee that there will be a pretty good solution available to you if you're the colts and you're drafting number 21 you don't know if any if there's going to be a good left tackle there like Look at last year, right? The Browns, Browns had a similar spot. They, they threw resources at the offensive line, but they still needed a left tackle. And the Bucks, same thing, needed a, a tackle in that first round. But they both picked in like, what was it, 11 and 12, 11 and 13? Browns were 10th, and they got Jedrick Wills there. Right. He was the second tackle off the board, right? And then Becton and then um, Tristan Wirfs. Yeah, but both those teams were picking inside. Tampa Bay were 13. So, yeah, 10 and 13. So that's 
it's eight picks better off than the Colts are. It's eight picks that you didn't have to worry about there being another left tackle taken off the board and suddenly we're left with nobody. Like maybe there was this, like the Colts, in fact, that probably would have been the way it worked out, right? If they were, if this was a year ago and they were chasing left tackles, picking at the same spot, you're left with like an Austin Jackson as opposed to the other ones right. that all got taken who were great. And don't forget, Tampa Bay lucked out <laughs> in this whole thing. They were, they were sitting at 14 and they kept trying to trade up to seven. They kept trying to trade up to get Tristan Wirfs. Eventually, they went from 14 to 13 just to get Tristan Wirfs, who they mm -hmm. were trying to get for a while. So they kind of lucked out that they didn't have to go to seven to get them. But the Colts, but the, but the point is, the Bucks were in a desperate situation. Win yeah. now, need a right tackle, do everything to get that guy. You don't, as a Colts, you don't want to get to the draft and be that desperate. And certainly not like seven, eight picks lower down in the draft. As I yeah. say, it's it's one thing if you're high enough that you're fairly confident that the answer will be there. If you're picking 21, you just you can't be that confident. There's yeah. too much can happen. All right, so the Colts have a couple different options there. Go read my article on Quentin Nelson, though. It was a lot of fun. I was using PFF War to, to go through different scenarios. If Nelson stays at left guard, using wins above replacement, how many wins would they have to add at left tackle to make that worth it? Or if he moved to left tackle, how many wins do they need to add to guard to make it worth it. So go check out the article at pff.com, Quentin Nelson, analyzing whether or not he should move to left tackle. Um, also, again, episode 58 of the PFF daily. Uh, so, yeah, Colts. Uh, any corners? Should they just try to bring, bring Xavier back? And Xavier's interesting because this was a big bounce-back year for him. Um, the player that is intriguing in terms of, like, fixing their cornerback concerns is they should be getting Marvell Tell back. Um, it was an opt-out for the 2020 season because of COVID. I'm working on the basis right now that basically anybody that opted out this year is coming back next year. Yeah. If for no other reason than, well, for several reasons. One, I don't know how much financial security you got out of the guaranteed couple of hundred grand. Like right. it's nice, but if you're worth, if you're used to living off millions, it's probably not that great. Um, two, even if the COVID situation hasn't exactly resolved itself in the world right now, I think everyone's just working on the basis that it has. Like, you know, eh, we're good now. Like, we're just, we'll go to the store. I can play football. We're fine. So I, I think everyone that opted out is probably coming back, at which point Marvell Tell was potentially going to go into that season as one of their starting corners and a guy that has huge potential and upside, played well in limited snaps um, in his first year converting from safety in college potentially that's a solution to replacing xavier rhodes per the pff twitter account jalen ramsey agrees with you no oh. quote i highly doubt he will suit up in a texans uniform again about oh deshaun watson. watson rather i was not i was one. wondering why i jalen forgot to ramsey mention the was, actual subject that he agreed was talking about marvell tell but okay all right let's go fix the jacksonville jaguars okay uh, draft trevor lawrence or zach wilson there's more than just Chris Sims who believes Zach Wilson's the top quarterback in the draft. Yeah. To be fair, PFF grading doesn't necessarily disagree either. I mean, Zach yeah. Wilson's season this year was better than any single season yeah. Trevor Lawrence's. The numbers point toward there. Wilson when you don't factor in like scouting reports and traits and stuff like that. Yeah. The numbers would point to Wilson. So I, I, like, I'm not... To be, to we be, should have Chris on the show at some point. I'm sure he's doing the rounds because he does have... Uh, I'm 100% convinced he's doing the rounds after that list. To be honest, the more egregious uh, the more egregious name and position on that list was Kellen Mond being ahead of Justin Fields. 
as opposed to Zach Wilson over Trevor Lawrence. I think the closer we get to the draft, the more people will have Zach Wilson above Trevor Lawrence. I don't agree with it, and I think it's massively – I think it's very much the hipster's choice. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like you get – there's some um, kudos to being that against the tide. You know, hey, I know everyone wants to go here, but I'm going to go with this. I know it's worse, but I'm going to go with this because it's cooler. It's just it's, – it's easier to do – three years removed from, you know, again, his podcast partner over there, I believe at NBC was like, well, look at the recent years. Mahomes was the consensus number three and Josh Allen was the consensus number five. And Lamar Jackson was the consensus number five. Allen was four and Lamar was five. Like all the consensus guys weren't really panning out. So look, I'm, I don't, whatever. It's fine. Do what you want to do. I think the Jags should take Trevor Lawrence. They're in an incredible position with the most cap space in the NFL. And then here's what they have for, from a draft standpoint. Two firsts, one obviously, in 25. Then they have 33 and 45 in the second round. And then they have pick 65. So five picks in the top 65. So beyond Trevor Lawrence, they're getting four other top 65 players in this draft in theory. What an incredible spot to be in. Now their needs are all in the worst spots, pretty much, right? Mm-hmm. Cornerback, massive need. Defensive line needs help. Uh, receivers in a pretty good spot, but you'd want to, you know, continue to add to that. And then the offensive line hasn't been all that great, and they don't have a starting left tackle at the moment. So there's a lot of needs to fill for the Jags. For the Jags, by the way, with the Trevor Lawrence, um, Justin Fields, I guess, in that conversation and Zach Wilson conversation, I think there's massive value to the Jags more than some other teams with uh, of massive value to the um, – the safety that Trevor Lawrence is. So, okay, if you're – remove all everything you know about all these guys. If you were looking at which one has the most upside or which one has the highest potential, I think you could make a reasonable argument that Wilson has a higher percentage that he could reach than Trevor Lawrence does. But if you're looking at range of outcomes and you know how likely a guy is to hit their 75th percentile of outcomes or whatever – I think Lawrence's floor has to be higher. Like just the guarantee, the certainty, the multiple years, the SEC, the pedigree coming out of high school, just the, the, the assuredness that he's going to be good has to be worth something for a team like Jacksonville, who A, is trying to rebuild this thing from the ground up, and B, has a coach in Urban Meyer coming in wanting, like he can't be taking massive gambles and fail, right? Yeah. More than anybody. This is a guy that does not want to be crapping out of his NFL gig in a couple of years, slink back to college with his tail between his legs. Like This is a guy who's moving to the pros, wanting to show that he can do this here as well, at which point you take the safest possible good quarterback you can, which is Trevor Lawrence. Let me ask you this. We've, we keep saying, hey, he's the best prospect since X. Mm-hmm. Say whatever you want. Andrew Luck, John Elway, what have you. How would you assess... Andrew Luck's career was Andrew Luck a hit or did he underwhelm and disappoint both perfect he was both a hit eventually and a guy that was not as good as he was billed coming out which was the greatest prospect since x right and in that same draft here's what happened Andrew Luck the clear number one RG3 was the clear number two but even late in the process, Mike Mayock came out and said, actually, I'm going to put RG3 number one. Hmm. And after a year, remember just like we were talking yeah. about to Ryan Leaf a couple weeks ago, after two games, Ryan, it looked like you were the guy and Peyton was the guy that was the bust, right? 
Um, that was only two games. But after a year, RG3 looked like the next big thing, and then he tapered off. And then the reality of the situation was Russell Wilson yeah. was the best quarterback from that class. Now, to your point on Luck, here's Luck's PFF grades through his career. 66 as a rookie, 77 and 79 in the years two and three. Both years went to the playoffs, went to an AFC championship. Uh, so he was he was really good, and he was on a team. The offensive line wasn't great. He was He was dragging that Colts team. So those high 70s grades are probably more better than they yeah. show in, in just you know raw terms. Now, 2015, massive anomaly. This was like the Carson Wentz season. He had a 48 grade. He was terrible. He was playing hurt a little bit, but yeah. he was just bad overall. Bad, disappointing. And then he randomly bounces back in 16 with a 90 grade, misses all of 2017, and then has a 91 grade in 18. So your point, eventually he got there, right? I would not be surprised if Trevor Lawrence had a similar – career path yeah. minus the 2015 craziness i think it's actually a great comparison because look so okay the, the one bad year in there i think was very injury driven um and wasn't helped out by extenuating circumstances as well but if if you essentially look at his career and say at no point was he bad and he was always a positive influence on the team and he helped them win a lot of games that they shouldn't have won otherwise that that was the safety you were buying with the number one overall pick it's like okay Russell Wilson, and even at the time, there were people that loved Russell Wilson, but the guy was five foot ten or whatever it is, so we don't want to go there. Um, RG3, there were other options that may have a higher ceiling. RG3 in year one was better. Russell Wilson for his career has been better, but the risk was bigger. So Russell Wilson short, maybe he can't play at all at the next level. We got to stay away from that. We're not touching him until the third round. RG3, okay, it might work out, but what if it goes wrong? What if he gets hurt? What if the style that he plays with isn't a long-lasting one. The point of that is, if you're a team like Indianapolis then, replacing Peyton Manning, or like Jacksonville now, you're paying for the certainty. Like Trevor Lawrence, there's a very, very small chance that he will just be bad from the outset. Sure, Zach Wilson or Justin Fields or whoever might be better over a long time, over a small time, but you're paying for the, like, the guarantee attached to to Trevor Lawrence. I also think the style between Lawrence and Luck is similar in that Luck always had, if you guys have premium stats 2.0, you can see this now, high percentage of big-time throws. So Luck's style, the reason why he didn't grade that well is because the turnover-worthy plays were just insane early in his career. Yeah. Playing for Bruce Arians in 2012, we already <laughs> talked about how many. He had over 40 <laughs> that season. That's, that's common in the Arian system if you're not Tom Brady. But a lot of turnover-worthy plays, I don't know where Lawrence is going to land there. He's generally been a good decision maker, but I think the big time throws are going to be there. So that's always been Luck's value. And the comparison between him and RG3, RG3 had a much better situation with a Shanahan, all the play action stuff, Russell Wilson. I think he's always been fantastic. I don't think he was ever like a game manager just because they had the Legion of Boom, but he sure. always had that covering, right? He always had those games where he didn't have to carry a team. Luck had to carry them right from the get-go. Um, so I think Luck had a really good career, right? I mean, yeah. he was good, and then he, he peaked in 16 and 18. I could see Lawrence being similar. So I think he's the guy. I think he'll be fine. He'll, he'll create these big play opportunities for this offense. Now it's about building around him and, and where they go elsewhere. With all, with, if you have all of this money and all of this draft capital you know we're always going to point you to what we feel are the most valuable positions. Re revamp the secondary and add more receiving and tight end weapons, right? Yeah. Um, I, 
Yes. Where where do you think they should go with that pick at the top of the second round? Because that's always one of the most interesting spots in the entire draft to me. The first pick of the second round. We have all the madness of round one, and everyone takes a breath. We just thirty. Come. You're just saying just the yeah thirty three. Just the thirty three third pick. We get to take a breath. Everyone gets to regroup. Come back at it tomorrow. Where do you go? I I think the board is going to be leaning toward there'll be a there'll be a starting tackle candidate so if they they have picked 25 if they don't get a tackle at 25 I think the turn will be really interesting to see if they go tackle or receiver um, or if one of the what if one of our top corners drops but like Kadarius Tony or Rondell Moore yeah in an Urban Meyer system is fascinating to me even with um LaVisca LaVisca Chenault there yeah I, I, I think LaVisca can be like wide receiver too you know, I think he could be outside receiver that you do move around. I he could do the jet sweep stuff, obviously, and all that stuff. But I think you're getting a different type with Kadarius Tony or Rondell Moore as well. Mm-hmm. You know, it's kind of like San Francisco. Like, is Brandon Ayuk redundant to Debo Samuel right. or just a, a a bigger threat to the defense? I think the Jags can make them a bigger threat to the defense. To me, that 33rd overall pick is always a fantastic spot to trade down and get more value. But it never happens. Every year, people say that, and then the team ends up staying right it just it seems to me that i think it's because of the same reason right everyone everyone goes oh you take the you take the beat you reset you look what's available you're like oh you target your guy and everyone wants to get to 33 so they have essentially the first pick of what's remaining but the team that's at 33 also wants the first pick so they never actually get out of it but if you're a team like jacksonville that already has two first round picks it was already spent i was already picked twice at that point i think it's why would you not like get out of there you don't have to move far. Like the chances are, the teams that are wanting to get there are the teams that pick in the next six picks anyway. Because otherwise, those are the teams that will have been targeting players at that point. So jump out, jump back six spots, pick up an extra decent draft pick, and profit. Using our board, a guy like Terrace Marshall Jr. from LSU, six three, big bodied receiver, to go with DJ Chark and Lavisca Chenault, also wouldn't be bad. So they don't need to get that shifty slot guy necessarily. I just want to get as many weapons as possible. The other guy that I think would be really good there is Pat Fryermuth from uh, Penn State, right? Definitely need a tight end weapon in Jacksonville. Fryer, I don't want to call him the best all-around tight end just because he's a better blocker than Kyle Pitts. Kyle Pitts is in a different world as yes. a playmaker. But Fryermuth is the best all-around option beyond that, and we don't have another tight end on the draft board. So Pitts is 9, Fryermuth is 41, Brevin Jordan is 95 on our draft board. Free agency is kind of hit or miss. I think there might be some like David Njoku's available soon that Jacksonville should look at at tight end, but he could be a really good top of the second round tight end Fryermuth from Penn State. Where do you think they should spend their money in free agency? Um, because this is a team that if you're picking Trevor Lawrence, you think you're going to get you're you're going to solve the quarterback position, so you kind of you're motivated to deploy all of your resources now, get good, get a team around this guy that's capable of doing some things rather than exposing him to just being in a bad situation and potentially hampering or stifling his development. So where do you throw the resources at free agency? You got to look at the secondary, obviously. I, I think I want another pass rusher off of, uh, opposite Josh Allen. I think the Jags, I think all of the edges that we say buyer beware on, not all of them, but like if they overpay for an edge, I'm less worried because of Jacksonville and the money that they have. I think they should definitely look at a Carl Lawson. The Olivier Vernon contract. It's like, okay, we overpaid, but he's been a good player for us the whole time. Yeah, exactly. I think that'd be fine. <laughs> I mean, like, if they overpaid a Trey Hendrickson, like, I don't want to do that. I'm just less worried, I guess, if the Jags do that. 
uh, Hassan Reddick. You know, I think there's like a high upside play putting Reddick opposite Josh Allen. I think they should at least investigate those. I'd still rather get like a good deal out of those guys though um, than overpaying. But it, it, to me, it, they got to take shots at corner. You know, Ronald Darby, I want to send everywhere, just like I want to send Will Fuller everywhere. But Ronald Darby opposite um, CJ Henderson would be fantastic. Troy Hill. To, and Troy Hill gives you outside and slot mm-hmm. versatility. They need both. So you can kind of put him in and see where the other – and then if you get a good outside corner in the draft or you get a good – look, if they got Troy Hill to play outside and my guy Elijah Molden in the draft to play in the slot, I, I like that as a combo. They'd, Just bring in secondary resources. They'd be a really intriguing team for the William Jackson sweepstakes as well. Yes. Um, like William Jackson paired up with C.J. Henderson in terms of just, just athletes at cornerback is a pretty incredible duo. Now, I'd if you get consistent play that. out of both of them, that would be even better. Um, but in terms of like just athleticism and pure talent, that would be a pretty crazy uh, one too. Then I might just do a mock draft right now. And see what happens. So they signed William Jackson. Can I go into the mock draft simulator right now? Do we have time for this? I mean, we have time. The question is, can you do that and still like maintain a train of thought and talk and things? Because otherwise, that's going to be let's a problem. See how, let's see Honestly, how but they're this. they're the kind of team that has the the resources to double dip at corner and free agency as well. Like if they went in the William Jackson sweepstakes and got a Troy Hill or one of the bunch of slot options, none of whom seems to be coming to free agency off their best year, whether it's Desmond King. Uh, Mike Hilton, uh, who else have we got that's in the slot? Brian Poole. There's a ton of these guys that have got like really quality seasons in the past covering the slot. Nikel Roby Coleman, none of whom <clears throat> are hitting free agency like off their best year. So I don't know if that means like the price will be down on all those guys. But if they like spent big money on a William Jackson and then like bargain basement signing for one of the top slot corners in the NFL, you could revamp the entire secondary in – a month what about the safeties too you look at look sure. at all the safeties yeah i mean safety is arguably the strongest position in the entire free agent group um and because of that probably isn't going to be busting the market down like you're gonna have maybe one or two of those guys will get paid monster money but there isn't much difference between the first two and the next two or the two after that to be honest so like if you targeted the four or five best safety in the in the free agent group you could get a really quality starter for presumably a lot less money than the guys that are signing one, two. Man, drafting for the Jags is pretty fun. Yeah, they got a lot of nice picks. I just got Trevor Lawrence, Trevon Morig, the top safety on our board with their second first round pick out of TCU. I got Fryermuth on the top, the top of the second, and I got uh, some corner. I can't see the results right now. Got another corner. <laughs> uh, and then I got Greg Newsom later. I got two corners okay. in there. So I revamped their secondary. They got a lot of options here. It's great. Jags fans should be excited. Are they another team that that there's to, to whom there is value of the certainty of like fixing um, left tackle or whatever with a draft pick, like trade? Uh, do they trade for Orlando Brown and just try and guarantee left tackle? Ooh, well? Orlando would be a good potential fit there. I would trade that second first rounder for Orlando Brown. Then you get the money to lock him up. I don't think they're in the same spot as the Colts where like winning for them is too far down the road for them to invest big money in Trent Williams. But Orlando Brown makes a lot of sense because that's a long-term thing. Um, it's going to cost similar money and a draft pick, but he's younger. It's a long-term, you know, he can be your left tackle for the next X number of years in a way Trent Williams probably can't. I like it. I, let me just wrap it up with this. Building around Trevor Lawrence. I, I keep saying Urban Meyer and the Rondell Moores and Kadarius Tony would be a great fit. Do we only want, like, vertical threats for Trevor Lawrence? Take advantage of the fact that he can – 
in my scouting report, attack. He can attack every level of the field. I think, I think vertical threats might be the way to go there. Yeah, I don't think we only want them, but they couldn't hurt. Oh, Dylan Radons, I got second round starting tackle. Man, I got him a starting tackle, starting safety, starting tight end in the draft. That's realistic. There you go. Beyond Fixed. Trevor Lawrence, just go to the uh, just go to the PFF mock draft sim, and you can fix your team. You don't even need the podcast. That's it. All right, Tennessee Titans. Are we going too slow? A little bit. We got to speed it up a little bit. Tennessee Titans. My concern with the Titans last year was about rolling it back. Run it back, right? Bring back Derrick Henry. Bring back Ryan Tannehill. Those were the big moves that they had to make just to just to get back to that spot where they were in the AFC Championship the well, year they before. They ran it back and it worked. It did. My concern this year is just to run it back. You have to replace a Corey Davis who was who had his career year and was a really good wide receiver too. And you have to figure out pass rush and you got to figure out the secondary it's kind of like some big pieces yeah the titans need to improve so i think they're last year it was interesting because the pieces that they were bringing back to run it back were big ones right quarterback <laughs> and okay running back we're not big in, on the idea of running backs having value but to them and even from the outside derrick henry is one of their most important players and they brought him back and he backed it up he was one of their most important players again this year this year, the guys that they're thinking about bringing back, I think, are less consequential. Do we bring back Corey Davis, our number two receiver? Do we bring back Jonu Smith, a talented tight end who's always been sort of buried in this run-first offense, isn't, you know, our number one target or anything. So I think they're easier decisions this year in terms of, you know what, let them walk and see if we can replace them elsewhere. Um, and I imagine that's the way they'll go, probably with both those guys to let them test free agency and try and patch up the damage that, that, that they leave. But I think the important thing is they did the business last year and they kept the most important parts of that team. Now they just have to actually attack what are still weakest areas. My concern, A.J. Brown, superstar receiver. Mm -hmm. Corey Davis is a free agent. They just released Adam Humphreys. Yep. And John U. Smith, their top tight end, is a free agent. Their top two tight ends are both free agents. Anthony Ferkser as well that's the spot so as much as we want to say ah, it's derrick henry's team and it's play action and it's creating open throws like you need compliments to aj brown and they're one of those teams kind of like the vikings like do the vikings really need a wide receiver three the way they play or do the browns really need a wide receiver three the way they play maybe not maybe you don't have to treat it the same way we're like we're saying the bills did a great job getting four deep at wide receiver but you at least need a complimentary piece to aj brown where yeah, are they going to go like, there? how hard is it to find a Corey davis Fair question. It's not that not that difficult, but do you spend your first round pick on that? Is that no? That's the beauty of it is you don't have to spend your first round pick. You can throw a dart in the first three rounds of the draft most years these days and find a Corey Davis. Man, I don't know. That's that's a little risky, man. I, Tannehill's had his career his two career years here, not in part because he's got dudes to throw to. And Davis was solid, and Adam Humphreys was solid the year before, and John Smith was fantastic. They have to replace those guys. It's sure. not that easy, Sam. Well, it, it kind of is, though. Look at last year, right? Second-round wide receivers. T. Higgins, Michael Pittman Jr., uh, LaVisca Chenault. Okay, K.J. Hamler, not yet. Chase Claypool, yes. Van Jefferson, not yet. Like, these are guys that are just getting drafted in the second round that are pretty much able to replace what you've lost year one in Corey Davis. Golden Honestly, Tate just released. That could be a good yeah, like, short term. It, I, I get that Corey Davis had a breakout year last year and he was good and it was a big boost to this offense that he was. But 
I am not in the remotest terms concerned about replacing Corey Davis. Try to bring Janu back though at tight end. It or depends that, what. It's not even a highly featured position in the right. offense. Again, which is why I'm less concerned. I, it depends what the price tag is. Sure, I'm certainly interested. Like I would be in constant contact with his representatives, but I'm okay with him testing free agency. And if we need to figure it out later, let's do that. The other intriguing place, Isaiah Wilson, who we've talked about their first round pick last year, didn't actually play football. Probably won't be back with the Titans, right? Four snaps, Steve. You put some respect on those snaps. Oh, well, last time I said that, you said they were all kneels. So they were. Right. Well, all kneels and I think it was a special, special team, like a play. fake punt or something yeah. in there. Whatever. But is this a spot where, man, it, like this is the worst from a team building standpoint. You tried to attack tackle last year. You failed. Yeah. Is Tevin Jenkins from Oklahoma State, who does play right tackle, not that that matters, but he plays right tackle and could be a, a future starting right tackle for them to replace a Dennis Kelly. That could be a way that they go in the first round as well that'd be a that's just like a that's like the texans trying to trade back for their number three overall pick just like sure. not something you want to do more yeah. realistically though all titans fans want to know is how are we going to rush the passer yes and they don't have a ton of money to spend in free agency right now they got 1.6 million to spend so they're not going to be big players in free agency in the market of overpaid or overrated pass rushers you would think um they're going to be probably trying to draft one would you agree? Yes. Yeah. Sorry, I'm just answering a question. Okay. Where does that put them? They didn't They didn't want Jadavian Clowney back. Well, the fans don't want Jadavian Clowney back. They Reasonably want, so. I mean, they want a Bud Dupree or something like that. He didn't move like the that. needle. I would just say, by, the Titans feel like they're primed. And this is this might just be because I talked, uh, Ramon Foster does Tennessee radio. And every time I'm on there, they're asking about the edge, edge class, right? In free agency. And they're always bringing up the buyer beware guys. So the same way I would say, hey, the Jags feel like they've got some leeway like to try to take a shot on one of these guys. The Titans in a win-now situation, I think it's a little riskier if they go Bud Dupree or Leonard Floyd or Trey Hendrickson or Matthew Judon. The guys that are in that 50 to well, 70 range, they're going to make a ton of money. Not yet, not to mention expensive. Yes. I think they should be in the market for the guys that have a certain degree of like proven quality but are not going to cost anything. Like Olivier Vernon, the guy we talked about, massively overpaid on the contract he got coming off the career year he had, the breakout year in Miami. Um, and as therefore, perception-wise, from that point on, was seen as like this letdown player. But he's always been good. Like he may, have, he may never have gotten back to the breakout standard, but he's been a consistent, good productive, yeah. good player right up until being released. If you sign Olivier Vernon, if he's healthy, he's going to be good for you. He's going to be better than anything you had last year at which point, jump all over it, right? Um, and another guy, I, uh, this is my Will Fuller, I think. I'm going to have anyone that needs an edge rusher kicking the tires on, on this. Alden Smith came back after five years out of the league. Yeah. And okay, right away it looked like, hey, he's going to be really good again. And he didn't quite maintain that. He tailed off a little bit. But he was solid after five years out of the game. And he's not old. He's 31. There's a lot of mileage left in Alden Smith. I would be intrigued to see what he can do two years back in the game. I just get the sense that the Titans made that type of move. They're like, hey, Clowney's still available. Let's bring him in. And he didn't have a sack, right? And that they are scarred by that. And that they're going to they're gonna try to make a splash. I don't, do they have the, I don't know that they have the, the resources to you make a find, splash. You find the resources. You I mean, you can, out. but it's easier to just find a guy that is, doesn't cost an awful lot they have a million dollars in cap space like Clowney had the best the pass rushing grade of their edge rushes with a 69.6 .6. 
Harold Landry had the most pressures of their pass rushers and had a pass rushing grade of 60. Like, this is a team in desperate need of some, like, proven quality guys that can actually rush the passer. Vernon had the same number of pressures as Landry, but had a, a pass rushing grade more than 10 points better. And I don't think it would cost much on the open market. Like, I think Vernon is sort of seen as damaged goods or a guy that's not as good as people thought he was. I think he'd be available for not much at all and would immediately upgrade their pass rush. By the way, the, the edge draft class does match up, at least by our board. Our board matches up with them picking at 22. Uh, we don't have, in this class, again, there's, no, there's not like a Chase Young. There's not a Bosa. Jason Owe from uh, Penn State is number 20 on our board. Gregory Rousseau is number 23. Aziz Ojolari is number 25. So, and Jalen Phillips is 28. So there's four guys in the 20s. They're picking 22nd. I do think the edge value does match up. Yeah, for them, I like Jalen Phillips out of Miami potentially as as that guy, but you know some some questions about concussions and various things with him. But that's another reason that it's a perfect like draft or draft one of those guys in the first round and get an Olivier Vernon to pair along with him. Yeah, and that would be should have upgraded the pass rush significantly. Vernon probably going to miss a little bit of time this year, but I like that. That was kind of like when they drafted Jeffrey Simmons. Yeah. Didn't know with Vernon, Alden Smith, one of those types of players. Grab one of those guys for not much in free agency and pair him with a first round pass rusher what are your thoughts on the secondary here because on paper like the uh, to me the reason why they were nine and seven for so long is the secondary kind of kept them together in enough games and then they and then they then the offense became explosive so they became a better team but then the secondary got worse but on paper we're talking Dory jackson who was banged up most of the year yeah. malcolm butler still solid but a huge cap number that they could save a lot of money with if they released him desmond king's a free agent He's got to do something there. And Christian Fulton, who they drafted in the second round, we liked, but underwhelmed as a rookie. Kevin yeah. Byard there at safety, too. In theory, the pieces are there for this secondary to be pretty good. But it's now a much bigger gamble or a sort of fingers crossed and hope than it was before. Like, in theory, their two starting cornerbacks should be a Dory Jackson and Christian Fulton. And those guys combined for like 350 snaps last year. Like, <laughs> so you basically just didn't see your starting cornerback duo all year long. Um in theory, those guys should be pretty decent, and they, they fit well within the uh, the scheme. They fit well within the secondary, but now it's a gamble about whether that's going to come off or not. And if you're just hoping that that comes off, what is your contingency if it doesn't? Like if they get injured again or if they just don't play the way you think they're going to play, um, what is your backup plan? What is your plan B? Some people outside of Dan Orlovsky believe in a plan B. What's yours if you're Tennessee? <laughs> Why are you calling Dan out? I just he, he posted it. He posted, he posted that he doesn't believe in plan Bs. So I just came to mind when I was talking about it. Oh, interesting. Would you take a shot on a guy like Quentin Dunbar just to, to add depth? Or again, do, yeah. the, do, do the Titans go in and say, it's all edge, edge, edge. It's, it's all pass rush. We like what we have in the secondary. I could see them thinking that. I mean, I definitely think that, again, because I just don't think they have that much resources to play with. I think yeah. you have to try and, and you have to have some kind of plan B if those guys don't pan out. So let's attempt... Let's attempt something that gets at least a contingency backup. And Quentin Dunbar isn't a bad example. Uh, just to wrap them up, too. Desmond King, a free agent, probably get paid more than some of these second-tier slot corners. Nikel Roby Coleman, who you mentioned earlier, Mackenzie Alexander, Kawan Williams. Those guys could all be bargain slot corners. Maybe even Cameron Sutton from the Steelers. So I think the Titans should absolutely look at that group as well to replace Desmond King if he ends up walking or not, not re-signing. So... Titans, do we fix them? 
or just hypothetically put a whole bunch of pieces out there. I, I'm most concerned about the playmakers that you're not concerned about. So we'll see how they see how they handle that. I mean, I think, yeah, if they if the guys coming back from injury work, if they add a Quentin Dunbar, if they sign Olivier Vernon, if they draft a first round edge rusher, I think they're mostly fixed. All right, let's go to the Denver Broncos. We're off to, to the AFC West. Man, how how quickly do we have to get through these guys? We're on to the Denver Broncos. What are we doing at quarterback with Drew Locke? Not starting him again. Find another quarterback. Figure out something. Do whatever it takes not to have Drew Locke as your starting quarterback rolling into the 2021 NFL season. Please. Is this roster close enough that, like, trying to find, like, a Marcus Mariota is an attractive option? Like, is the – it's year three for Vic Fangio. We've talked about all the receiving talent that they have. The fact that Fangio's done a good job on the defensive side of the ball, and he's been one of the better coordinators or just leaders of defenses over the last few years. Even though they're trying to beat the Chiefs, they're trying to beat Mahomes, does adding a Marcus Mariota-esque quarterback to this roster or Cam Newton or whatever that is, is that an upgrade enough that that's a good plan B for the Broncos with plan A being, hey, we're going to get whatever draft quarterback might be available there? Um, y- Yes. I think they need to just raise the level to the point where it's viable again. Um, because so now you run the risk of ruining the receivers that you got as well. You drafted, I, I agree with what they did. They had Drew Locke. They sort of said, okay, let's give this guy the best chance of panning out. Let's double dip. We draft Jerry Judy in the first round. We draft KJ Hamler in the second round. We, draft, we get Albert O. We've got Noah Fant. We've got Cortland Sutton. Okay, he gets injured. Tim Patrick steps up. Like, this is a great group of playmakers really for a quarterback to be good with, and he wasn't. And the offensive line got a lot better as well. Garrett Bowles became one of the best left tackles in the NFL as soon as holding became, ceased to become an issue. Um, so I really like what they've done, but now they like Jerry Judy was dropping a ton of passes. It was like most of the time he was wide the hell open and Drew Locke couldn't find him with the ball. And then every now and again, Drew Locke would find him with the ball. And it was such a surprise that Judy just stone-handed dropped it. So the two of them were like dragging each other down. KJ Hamler didn't make a big impact. At this point, you now need to rescue those guys because the quarterback play is so bad that they're, they're not able to flourish or at least haven't been. So getting a Marcus Mariota it's not exciting. It's not like, hey, we're Super Bowl bound, baby. But it's like, okay, at least we can now see what we have with the guys that we drafted. They're also they're picking at nine, and we have five quarterbacks with first round grades on them. Are you just grabbing the next whoever's available at nine? Yeah, is but, it Trey Lance? It could be. I don't know what the NFL believes about Justin Fields. I, I think some people might have Trey Lance above him. We used to think it was going to be Lawrence and then Fields we think Wilson's going to be the number two guy. How far does Fields drop? I know yeah. there's a lot of QB needy teams up b- before the Broncos pick. Does a Fields drop? Is a Trey Lance there? Are you the team that's looking at Mac Jones, who's a little bit of the opposite of Drew Locke as the toolsy, you know, gunslingery type? That I mean, Mac Jones of, is the opposite the of The opposite that. of Trey Lance as well. Um, I guess it depends. Yeah, they should be in the market. I mean, I'm not saying you met, you definitely make it happen. It depends where, where they are on their evaluation of those quarterbacks. The problem is their recent evaluation on quarterbacks is not exactly great. And I know you have to keep swinging, but at some point, <laughs> at some point, it's when you keep repeating the same mistake or the same failure in the draft, you probably have to look in a different direction. So if they believe... I don't think Drew Locke is a failure in the draft. 
I, I mean, he's a failure of evaluation. I don't think so. Well, he is. We, you drafted think, a quarterback in the second round that you thought would be good. He isn't good. It's a failure of evaluation. I don't. It doesn't I matter that it was the right place for him to go. The point is, he isn't what you thought he would be. I disagree. I think I think Drew Locke in the second round, just like Deshaun Kaiser in the second round a couple years ago. I don't think those are failures. I think that's you draft those guys in the second round just in case, and then you just you, you but, leave them when they're not. But that's the still make, it's still a failure of evaluation. It, it's you, not. They were second is. round picks, and they should have been second round picks. But they're second round picks because you think that there's a decent chance they turn into a good no, NFL there's pro. There's a chance. It's just a bigger risk than the guys in the first round. The fact that they didn't at all it's means a, you got that wrong. I don't think so. Anyway, the point is, you whether it's Paxton Lynch, Drew Locke, all the other quarterbacks you've tried to find since Peyton Manning, it isn't working out. So, to I mean, you have to keep swinging because you still don't have a quarterback, but maybe not swinging in the same way that you've missed before. I Look, there's a decent – I think there's a, a fair scenario just because there's so many quarterbacks that a Justin Fields or a Trey Lance falls to that spot. There's also a decent chance that Mac Jones is available there, period – um, is this the best spot for a Mac Jones, given all the weapons? Maybe. I mean, weapons I, are good for everybody, but really for him? I don't know what to make of him as an evaluation. Um, he's really difficult because I think I'm right in saying that he has the best PFF single-season grade of any of these quarterbacks. It's Wilson higher. does. Uh, Mac had a higher passing grade. Okay, passing grade. Yeah, right. yeah. so a higher, at the highest PFF single-season passing grade of any of these quarterbacks, including – Zach Wilson, whose season we're talking about, sort of pushing him above guys like Trevor Lawrence. So, but the problem with Mac Jones is he's an absolute freaking statue in a league that is trending in the opposite direction. And the the sort of the mo is: look, if you're going to be that guy, you have to be Tom Brady. Otherwise, it just doesn't really function anymore. Well, he's a more mobile Tom Brady, of course. So, so it. I mean, there's a way of looking at that and saying, look, he's phenomenal. The the data says it, and the the tape says it as well. But he's got a lot working against him, and that that tends to sort of push you down from like the top ten picks. So look, I they should be in the market for a quarterback at that spot. But it's man, it's scary. Yeah, I just don't know if they don't draft a new guy, or they don't trade for Watson. Remember, they were in the Watson sweepstakes as well, which would have been incredible. Yes, Watson with those guys to throw to. I mean, they still might be right. It yeah. isn't done yet. Yeah, and and, and if. Look, if I'm the Texans, I would take nine is a lot more attractive than 20 as yes. far as your draft pick goes, right? Um, not as attractive as two or three. That's simple math. But Watson going to Denver to play in the AFC West would be amazing. Um, if they're stuck with Drew Locke, the defense better get really, really good. And it sounds like Vaughn Miller might not be back. Bradley Chubb's still there. But I think you know Shelby Harris being a free agent, they need help on the defensive line. I think they're bringing Justin Simmons back either on the franchise tag or long-term at safety, that's great. Mm -hmm. And then cornerback's going to be a major question mark. Bryce Callahan had an excellent season last year that he's used to Fangio's system and all that stuff, but you'd rather have Bryce Callahan as your number two or three, not your number one. Denver are a team that I would absolutely be willing to do a absurd deal for Deshaun Watson with. I, I, I would, whatever crazy deal Chicago has on the table, I would absolutely be matching it if I'm the Denver Broncos. Just, again, to answer that quarterback situation once and for all. You have a higher draft pick. You can potentially offer them. I think people have been talking about, like, throw Drew Locke in there. If the, if the Texans view Drew Locke as an attractive, like, piece of that bargaining chip, okay, I would like to see if Drew Locke can pan out long term, but absolutely I would put him in part of a trade to snag a Deshaun Watson. Yeah. 
I mean, go get them. So figure out what the hell the Chicago <laughs> Bears are offering and match it with Drew Locke. If they don't get Watson, uh, got to get creative like the other QB. It's tough to figure out scenarios here because there's it's all the same guys you're trying to figure out here. Would you ever bring uh, Fitzmagic in? Yeah, look, I if if you're in a situation where you can't get a Deshaun Watson, find a viable mid-tier quarterback that you can plug in instead of Drew Locke because it's better. Drew Locke sitting on the bench for you know a year might get better. He might just be a bust, whatever. You need to get to a viable level of quarterback play just so you can figure out if Jerry Judy and K.J. Hamler can be plus pieces of this offense and move forward. And Fitzpatrick does that. Mariota does that. There's a few quarterbacks in that mid-tier. Jameis does that. I was about to say, Jameis, Jameis with those guys to throw to, you know pretty quickly. Uh, you, you just want a guy that's going to throw the ball down the field, give them opportunities. Yeah, and Jameis also the same zip code. Jameis, if you're talking about a one-year deal, like if you don't, if you don't get your draft quarterback – and you, and you, well, it, it's out of order, but you'd have to bring Jameis in first and then still try to draft somebody. But if you have Jameis for a year with the potential, like he just has the potential to go on that run, right? He has a potential with these guys to throw to, if the, and then you spend all your resource on defense there. The upside's at least there to compete with the Chiefs. Go get Jameis. That's what I'm doing, Denver. I mean, also, who knows? A guy like Jameis might be available on the Cam Newton deal late into the, the offseason. Like, those That's guys true. won't necessarily sign first week of free agency. My feeling is the Saints are going like, to – as soon as we know Drew Brees is out, my feeling is the Saints are going to grab Jameis. Hmm, potential. At number nine, if they're not going QB, I think corner, Caleb Farley, our top guy on the board, Patrick Sertan, both guys in play. I think that's a pretty common mock draft spot, and I think that'd be great. Um for Fangio's defense so look at corner there and then I think they just they have to stitch it together at uh edge rusher when if when and if Vaughn is no longer a part of the team yeah yeah I mean that's a potentially massive hole that they probably weren't anticipating needing to be filled did um, we fix them or just theorize we fix them if they can find a quarterback um I I think their biggest fix is throwing the entire kitchen sink at Houston for Deshaun Watson that catapults them immediately into a different stratosphere regardless of what you have left to play with in terms of fixing the other holes in the roster. Like the other holes in the roster become far less significant if you have Deshaun Watson. Sure, you still have a hole at edge rusher and cornerback, but you have money to play with, even with Deshaun Watson coming on board. They're they're a hell of a lot easier to fix with him. If you don't, now you got to start spending some of that free agent money. Try and find yourself one of those edge rushers. I, I just, I don't love the free agent group of edge rushers, but you know, maybe they're in the market for a Carl Lawson um whatever that is or the cornerback group and we've talked before about this group of free agent cornerbacks being kind of a crapshoot there's a bunch of guys that are talented but they've all got questions to answer but they're in the market the only only other big hole i see offensively center rookie lloyd cushionberry had only a 40 grade last year i don't know if they want to shore that up with like a ted karras or david andrews guys that have played solid center or guard in karras's case in the past but something else to consider for Denver, otherwise a pretty solid offensive line, especially with Juwan James coming back from his opt-out. All right, let's go to the Kansas City Chiefs. Let's fix the AFC champion, Kansas City Chiefs. Um, we've mentioned before, how do you build around Patrick Mahomes going forward? Is it continue to get him the most ridiculous weaponry that you can find? How much does the offensive line need to at least remain status quo? I don't think we need to overreact to the Super Bowl. Other than the fact that Mitchell at right tackle, Mitchell Schwartz, Eric Fisher at left tackle, 
both dealing with serious injuries, and we don't know what their status is early next year. So could Kansas City be in the market end of the first round in one of those starting tackles? I think absolutely. Would probably be a wise decision for them going forward. But I keep coming back to beyond Tyree Kill, beyond Travis Kelsey, Kansas City's scary when it's like, who do we cover? And they lost a little bit of that down the stretch last season. Is this the first year of the Mahomes extension kicking in, or is that another year down the down the road? Let's find out. Um, this is it's certainly the first year where they're facing real like salary cap squeeze. You know, right now they're one of the they're not unique. They're one of the like ten teams that are projected to be above the salary cap uh, heading into free agency. So they've got some work to do just to get compliant. Um, but I don't think they'll struggle to do that. But it does, it illustrates that they're not going to be a free spending team and free agency. They're not going to be throwing money all over the place to try and plug whatever holes in the roster that they have. Um, so they're now left with the draft situation, right? What do you do? And it's the philosophical question. Do you invest in the protection, knowing that you're going to get some guys coming back? I mean, they got ruined in the Super Bowl. Their offensive line was a joke. Um, on the other hand, most of it was injured. So... Like how how big a problem yeah. is that? Now they are losing potentially a guy like Austin Ryder, starting center. So there's work to be done, but it's not like you need to revamp the entire offensive line the way some teams do because it's in ribbons. Like they're they're when healthy, they're fine. They also, from a team building standpoint, made the right moves to get into that position. So Mike Remmers, who is a free agent right now, is like the quintessential. If he's your starting right tackle, sure, you're okay. If he's your third tackle, you're in great shape. He was their third tackle coming yeah. into the year. Mitchell Schwartz gets hurt. Remmer steps in, and he's one of the – he's just a good, solid right tackle. That's what he is. Like, that is the way to do it. If we're advising the Chiefs going forward, it would be like, hey, go get more Mike Remmer's caliber players to mitigate disaster if your offensive linemen get hurt or to step in in a pinch. The Stefan Wisniewski's of the world, right? Those are the guys we would be sitting here suggesting that you get. Again, the problem was both starting tackles got hurt and they flipped Remmers to left tackle and the whole thing fell apart. Um, last year, Mahomes was 2.4% of the cap. This year, he'll go up to 13.4%. It's not crazy, but it's obviously a big jump. He's going to make over 30 mil, uh, $24 million from a cap number standpoint. Um, and then it's projected to be 13% and 17%, 15% in the coming year. So it's the first year he's going to go make a lot more money. Um, and, and you have Chris Jones and you have Frank Clark also making a ton of money so yeah they are definitely far more limited in what they can do so they're another team that's got to do the the bargain basement thing I think all those corners that we keep sending to teams you know the Jason Verrett's and Ronald Darby's of the world now the Bashad Breeland's a free agent I mean those are the types of of players I think they have to look at cap numbers for this year Frank Clark is over 25 million Ugh. Mahomes is 24 million 24.8 and Chris Jones is over $21 million. But in addition to that, Tyron Matthews, 19 Tyree Kills, 15 Eric Fisher's 15 Travis Kelsey's 13 And Anthony Hitchens is 10 So that's four, eight guys over $10 million. Some of them are your absolute superstars, and then some of them are Anthony Hitchens. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> so that's where the Chiefs are. It's, it's, it's a top-heavy roster. But we know we know we knew that. So I think, look, we're always going to compare them to the Patriots dynasty unless they completely drop off, right? The Patriots dynasty stayed at a high level because the Brady Belichick combination was always there. So the foundation was strong. But they had some years where they had 
unstoppable type of teams, even though they got stopped. But they had like super teams, 2007, 2014, 2016. That's when it's like, oh, we brought Randy Moss in. We brought Darrell Rivas in. We brought in Martellus Bennett to go with Gronk. Like those are super team type of teams. The Chiefs will have years like that where they have that flexibility. But there are other times in the Patriots dynasty where it's like, oh, six, Brady's throwing to Rache Caldwell. What's happening here, right? 2011, they've got Matthew Slater playing free safety, right? So the roster at the bottom end just wasn't deep. So that's what the Chiefs are battling, right? Is just never get to the point where the roster is so depleted or has massive weaknesses. Just keep it solid, average with your foundation, which is Mahomes, Kelsey, yeah. and uh, Terry. I mean, this is the first year where they're getting squeezed and they need to make some tough decisions with, with the salary cap. And guys that you just listed off, I mean, Anthony Hitchens is an obvious one, right? Big money, not great player, bye-bye. Um, the other names you listed are much more difficult. Chris Jones, your best player on defense. Tyron Matthew, a real impact playmaker. Frank Clark becomes, I think, a fairly obvious cut candidate because he hasn't played anywhere near as well as that kind of money. But it's just so much dead money that they dead money and the there. fact that they traded for him. Like there's just a lot of sunk costs attached to Frank Clark. So that becomes a difficult move to stomach. So they are in this spot now where they're they are getting squeezed and they're gonna have to make some difficult decisions and probably let go of some good players. And those are the guys that they need to patch up. And they start they they need to start having some good drafts to make sure that they maintain that level of talent across the board because that buys you wiggle room. Like if you hit on a few draft picks that you weren't necessarily anticipating, suddenly those are a couple of cheap players that you don't have to worry about for a while. This isn't really a strategy as because you just said it. You have to draft well. Yeah. Right. And again, just to just to give the Patriots comparison really quick. There was a point halfway through their dynasty where it's 2008, Brady gets hurt. 2009, underachieved a little bit, losing the first round. 2010, they basically have a franchise-changing draft, which is they drafted Gronk and Jason uh, Devin McCourty, right? So their first two picks, nailed them. They're stalwarts for the next 10 years. Aaron Hernandez, who obviously we know what happened there, but he was a good player for a little bit. Brandon Spikes was a good player for a little bit. So the Chiefs dynasty, so to speak, is going to depend – and again, it's not a strategy. It's just going to depend on, did you hit on some draft picks one year or did you have a lull yeah. for two or three years from a drafting standpoint? Now, as far as like the who and where do you draft, I think it's just keep the roster steady. But I do think Sammy Watkins is free agent. Mecole Hardman is whatever he's been, you know, speed player, change of pace. He's not Tyree Kill. I do think that's a place that they should continue to look and say, okay, we have to have some insurance for Tyreek and Kelsey. Well, I also think you can't do things like drafting Clyde Edwards-Hilaire in the first round anymore. Like you have lost the luxury of drafting a running back in the first round now. You have bigger problems to deal with. You know, last season, it's not that Clyde Edwards-Hilaire is a bad player or that he would do badly within this offense. It's that just value terms, it's not, it doesn't match up. You have you can spend that first round pick in positions that will move the needle far more in terms of wins or losses. That wasn't a huge issue last year. This was a loaded team, just won the Super Bowl, um, wasn't being pressured in terms of roster construction to do anything crazy to get back there. Now you kind of are. Now you didn't win the Super Bowl. You came up just short. Okay, there's extenuating circumstances behind that. But now you actually have some potential holes that need filling you no longer have the luxury to be able to just spend a first-round pick on a guy that you like, even if you know it's not going to move the needle. 
you need to start spending those picks in sensible places. But the Chiefs, I think, are a great team for those. I don't know if they last as long as this, but another one of those teams that could add a Rondell Moore or a Kadarius Toney or just an offensive playmaker that, okay, he's going to be at least third behind Travis Kelsey and Tyreek Hill, but he brings something different and he brings something explosive and he buys you contingency if one of those guys gets hurt and you suddenly have to go deeper into the bench in terms of a, a massive target load. And, you know, those guys would be really intriguing and needle-moving first-round picks. Now, I, I'm trying to get into the brains of teams. Are they going to feel like they have that luxury to grab a playmaker? Uh, we well, always, I don't think it's a luxury for them in the well, way that Clyde Edwards-Hilaire was. No, yeah, I mean, that's a good point. That was, that was definitely a luxury. And that was them getting caught up. You know, when they talked about um, all the guys involved in that pick, when they talked about how much they just loved him as a player and this and like that, just it felt like an emotional pick and not the idea of, you know, positional value and all that it stuff. Also, and not, not, not even just like the self-awareness that they took every running back that cycled through that offense and made them productive. Yes. It also felt, yeah, it felt like they did not have the appreciation that, that running backs don't power their own production. They, they looked at his tape. They're like, this guy's special. This guy's great. He'll make this offense even better. Like, what, will he? I mean, it, it, he probably won't. Like, if the offensive line, for example, falls apart, he's not going to be able to power through it on his own. Like, he's, he's going to be a good player because your offense is amazing. But he's not going to transform it. He's not going to make it dramatically better. And that's the way it panned out. But a guy like Rondale Moore or Kadarius Toney could. I mean, they can do special things in the passing game in a way that would make the offense even more difficult to defend. Yeah, so so offensively, I'm with you, man. I look, there's there's two things at play. I want a third option behind Tyreek and Travis Kelsey that is scary for defenses, and I also keep bringing up we've never seen Mahomes without those two top guys, Tyreek and Kelsey. If one of them gets hurt, yeah, it, are we still putting up? We're still putting up good numbers, but are we still putting up MVP type of numbers, like really scary for the defense. I mean, type just of numbers. one of those guys gets hurt. With Sammy Watkins presumably leaving, you're now relying on Miko Hardman to be something he hasn't been yet. Or, I mean, they've had stretches where they've fed a ton of targets to Demarcus Robinson, and it's been horrific to watch. Like, they need, they need that contingency built in. Now, Frank Clark, we mentioned that they could, uh, they're not going to cut him this year because of the dead money. Chiefs fans love Frank Clark because he's got key sacks at all the right times and all that fun stuff. Yeah. By our, he's got his two worst PFF grades over the last two years, 64 and then 54 and this past year. And they've been bad. Like, not just worse compared with, you know, Aaron Donald has his worst season every now and again. It's not like a 91 grade. Like, Frank Clark's worst season is bad. I guess my question is, do the Chiefs think he's been bad? Do they, do they have the same take as us? Last year, he had eight sacks by NFL numbers and by our numbers. Uh, can't click on 2019. He had 13 the year before, and it was, like, oh, it was you know, it was all the key times in the well, playoffs. Three in the playoffs in do the they championship think he's game in the Super Bowl. Probably not. That's the weird thing. Frank Clark has, what is it? He's got five, eight sacks in the last two playoffs. So three games each, yeah. right? Um, he's got eight sacks. So six, six games, eight sacks. They probably think that's a great return. This guy's been a difference maker. He's been one of the reasons we've uh, succeeded in postseason play. But in terms of just like basic pass rushing, he hasn't been good. Um, so let me just say this, just to make the Patriots comparison one more time. We keep saying the Patriots did the best job at mid-level free agents and all that stuff. I mean, that I think that's going to be the, because of the cap situation. That's where the Chiefs have to go. 
I do wonder if our number three linebacker on the on the draft board is Jayon Brown coming off of an injury. I think he'll get paid, but I wonder if the injury might hurt his value a little bit. Really athletic, good coverage linebacker. I think he'd be an interesting piece to add with Willie Gay there, you know, hopefully progressing. But they need to add more depth to that secondary. Yes, they need to. They, ideally, you want to upgrade on Bashad Breland. What we said, drafting well buys you wiggle room. Legeria Sneed being yeah. as, as good as he was in year one potentially buys them a ton of extra money and space going forward because they don't have to try and make you know a William Jackson signing happen because in theory they have a, a good starting cornerback there who'll only get better. But Bashad Breland, ideally, you want to upgrade upon. Linebacker is interesting because you know if Willie Gay becomes their coverage linebacker. If you're replacing Anthony Hitchens, you can find those guys for nothing in free agency. Like Denzel Perriman is a guy who 15 years ago would be like an all-pro linebacker. Right. But in today's NFL is just a guy without a real niche because right. nobody wants a downhill, thumping, big-hitting linebacker who can't really cover. Denzel Perriman could be your two-down Anthony Hitchens. David Mayo, cut by the New York Giants, could be your two-down run-stuffing linebacker upgrade Your for guy. presumably not an awful lot of money. Um, I think they could find those guys pretty easily. And then two, two cornerback names, if we're talking the, you know, let's bargain upside type of guys. A.J. Boye, recently released by the Denver Broncos. Ooh. Maybe get him on the cheap and see if he can rejuvenate his career. Is it just chances? And Arkello Witherspoon from the 49ers coming off of an 80 grade and on a limited sample last year. But, you know, at least pointing in the right direction, a guy that has some talent. I'm not sure I'd want either of those guys, but okay. Get some playmakers. Get some get some more corners. <laughs> the same answer for every team. But I think, yeah, definitely linebacker. And, and do they need another pass rusher? Because Frank Clark hasn't actually been good. Yes, they do. So bargain basement, <laughs> everything for the Chiefs. Limited. The good news is you don't have to cap. try too hard to fix them because they have Patrick Mahomes and they've been to the Super Bowl the last two years. Correct. We have two more teams. To fix in the AFC West. Uh, who's first alphabetically? Is it Raiders or so you to go Las Vegas? So LA. Yeah. So Raiders. Raiders and then Chargers? Yes. Las Vegas Raiders. Yes. All right. We have a, um, well, let's start with an overview of the Raiders and we'll get into We have a clip from John Gruden that we'll play in a minute. Um, Raiders, offense was much better this year. Derek Carr threw the ball a little bit more down the field, was more efficient. They were really good moving the ball. Mm -hmm. Is this year just all about rebuilding the defense? It has to be, right? I mean, their defense is bad. Their offense is good. You're, they're apparently all in with Derek Carr. I mean, the question came up recently. Both, I think both Gruden and Mayock have made incredibly positive noises around Derek Carr and how great he is and how good he is for that offense. So they're not looking to make a seismic upgrade from you know Derek Carr to Deshaun Watson or whatever. At which point, I mean, yeah, you can... You need to piece. You need to juggle on the offensive line there, or on the offense generally. They're releasing Gabe Jackson. Nelson Aguilar is a free agent, so there's there's work to be done. But the defense sucks top to bottom. So let's like throw everything there and figure out the offense later. Which brings me to John Gruden's point. He was on the Chris Collinsworth podcast a few weeks back, and here's what he said about what the Raiders need to do, and in particular, what they need to do defensively. Defensively, we're very young. Uh, we are looking for these alphas. And that's why I talked to Sherman. He knows what I'm talking about. We need a couple alpha present, presence on our defense that not only can talk and communicate and lead, but can also make plays. Uh, it all starts up front. You know, we have got to get after the quarterback much, much better. So Gruden thinks they need some alphas and they need to rush the passer better. 
when I'm hearing alphas on defense, besides the fact that he was speaking opposite Richard Sherman on this podcast and almost straight up recruiting him <laughs> for not only his team, but Gus Bradley is their new defensive, defensive coordinator. Yeah. That's Sherman's system, man. That's the only system Sherman's ever known. He actually could be an answer for the Raiders in the sure. short term, right? Yep. And Gruden was hinting at, we we need some guys who make plays that are young, obviously, but help. also guys to lead and to just get the culture right and all that stuff. I could see Sherman actually being a real play for Gruden and the Raiders. Yeah, and particularly because they're not going to want to give up on the players that they've only recently brought in there. There's a lot of young players in that group that that they think will be decent down the line. I mean, they drafted Damon Arnett in the first round last season. And okay, whatever you think about what that pick was at the time in terms of reach, whatever, they're not going to dump him after a year of bad play where he got concussed and broke a thumb, I think, and missed a bunch of time. Like he only played 343 snaps, uh, gave up 81.3% of the passes into his coverage for a catch, a passer rating of 129. It wasn't good, but you're not going to, you know, you're not going to give up on him. So let's bring in a Richard Sherman to A, start at one position and B, you know, bring Damon Arnett along and help him learn how to play cornerback at this level. So I think he makes a lot of sense to both fix a, a starting position and help other young players. So we just finished fixing the Chiefs and saying, hey, maybe Tyreek and Kelsey aren't enough. I mean, when you're the Raiders or you're the Chargers or you're the Broncos, they're enough. They're the, they are the, the first thing you're thinking about defensively as you're building your team. How do I stop these guys? And then, oh, by the way, if the Chiefs do listen to us and add an, a Rondell Moore or whatever it is to that mix, scary. I need to be four deep at corner. I need to be three deep at safety. Uh, so to your point, they haven't – Trayvon Mullen's been okay. I, I think he might do well in this Gus Bradley system. Uh, LaMarcus Joyner, free agent, right? I mean, they the whole secondary just needs to be attacked. I would love Sherman as a foundational piece. I think they could look corner again in the first round. But he mentioned rushing the passer as well. Max Crosby's been hit or miss the first two years. Cleveland Furl. It's had some flashes down the stretch. Uh, we know Maurice Hurst has had some flashes. I would be really intrigued by Christian Barmore, though. We, we talked about him to the Vikings, maybe, at 14. Mm -hmm. At 17, if Barmore's there, interior pass, rush from out, pass rusher from Alabama, I think would be a great fit for what the Raiders are looking for. Yeah, the big problem that the Raiders have in that secondary, in particular talking about the Chiefs, is there's a pretty glaring lack of speed especially if we're talking about like adding Sherman to the mix. Yeah. As good as Sherman potentially is, even next year, guy's not fast. Um, and trying to cover Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey, you need a bit of wheels about you. I mean, even Damon Arnett's not the fastest guy in the world either. Um, neither is Trayvon Mullen. They're not slow, but none of those guys are speedsters. Um, so that is a potential issue for them. The one way to offset that is to try and increase the speed at which you're getting after the passer. Because currently they really aren't, period. So, yeah, I'm, Barmore makes a lot of sense. They should be another team that's in the market for free agent pass rushers as well. Try and add guys, and I, to be honest, draft as well. They Neither Furl nor Max Crosby are terrible players, but I don't think either of them should be keeping you from upgrading at the position, even with the sunk cost in mind of, hey, Furl was brought in to be the the leader and the – the direction that you're going post Khalil Mack, I don't think either of those guys should be keeping you from getting better at those positions. The tough part about evaluating the Raiders is I think they made some good moves last year that just didn't pan out. 
They brought in Corey Littleton, who we thought looked like the best coverage linebacker in free agency last year. He was terrible in year one. 47 PFF grade. Nick Kwiatkowski, friend of the show. He was good. Get that flipper, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Nick K was fine. So that you know, they've they have tried defensively. They've tried. Yeah. Other than trading Khalil Mack, they've yes. done everything they could to add veterans, to add draft picks, and it all added up to two players grading over 75 on their defense last year. It was Cleveland Furl and Maurice Hurst. And Furls was like kind of, you know, chunk of couple games where that grade came from. So I, there's a chance some of these guys, like if if Littleton bounces back, you know, that Jonathan Abram, I think, will at least play in a more realistic role for him, which is a, close to the line of scrimmage. He'll play the Cam Chancellor role in this system. So he had a 35 grade last year because he's just not a good all-around safety. He's a very specific, strong safety. So I think there's room to improve just by slotting guys into the right part of the uh, right to the right system right now Littleton I think is a good example of another thing that would get better if you if you attacked the pass rush up front I think Littleton not just the pass rush but players that can play on the opposing side of the line of scrimmage Aaron Donald being in the backfield all day long helps linebackers you know and helps guys like Corey Littleton because he doesn't have to worry about the run he doesn't have to worry about a ton of offensive linemen getting to him and the run coming in his direction too far because Donald is four yards in the backfield blowing up at least half of the line of scrimmage, even if he doesn't destroy that particular, the entirety of the run on any given play. Suddenly you take him away from that and the Raiders are not winning up front and everything is getting to Littleton. He has to worry about the run. He has to worry about play action at the, off the back of that. The dude's just drowning at that stage. So I think, again, if you improve that pass rush, they had one guy have more than 31 total pressures last season. That was Crosby. And Crosby took 536 pass rushes to get his 48 pressures. So, you know, Carl Nassib had the second most pressures on this team. And, you know, Nassib, not great. Not great at rushing the passer. <laughs> so this is a team in just in desperate need of somebody that can affect the quarterback. And it really is this amazing cautionary tale of, yeah, look, winning a trade on paper is fantastic, but at some point you have to replace the guy that you traded away Otherwise, you're left with a big problem and you didn't fix anything. When, when I first heard Gruden say they want alphas, they want you know difference makers on the defensive side, actually the first name that came to mind was Leonard Williams. And he's the, first, he's the top interior defensive lineman in free agency on our draft board, number 19 overall on our board. I don't know if he hits free agency. I think the Giants are trying to lock him up as much as possible. What are your thoughts on Williams, though? He has quietly been a top five most valuable interior defensive lineman, veteran, plays the run, rushes the passer, solid. I mean, is he the stalwart that they're looking for in the interior? I mean, he's part of it. But you bring in Leonard Williams, Maurice Hurst is now your interior duo. It's it's good. It's It's not destructive. It's not scaring anybody. It's not affecting the passer as much as you need to in order to save Corey Littleton and the secondary at the back end. Like, if you did that and found yourself an elite pass rusher on the edge, okay, now we're getting somewhere. Yeah. But if that's your move and you're like, okay, done, next, that's not – it's not fixing it. I'm just trying to get into their heads and say, what does that what does that guy look like? Is it a, is yeah. it a Sherman I mean, plus a I Williams? I think that's the mistake, right, is saying – identifying one guy and being like, right. we're done. I mean, even Gruden is his point is we need alphas multiple. True. So, yes, Leonard Williams would tick that box fine and be a good part of the, the process, but he isn't the answer uh, singularly. You need multiple Leonard Williamses.
I, I think one of the mistakes could be those if they do overpay a guy like a Bud Dupree or something. I could see that. I mean, that would be bad. Yeah, with the Raiders, be one of those teams that overpays the edge. I, I think Barmore in the first round is one of their best case scenarios because of how good I think he is as a rusher. And when you stack up interior pass rushes with the draft and free agency, I think he's the best option out of any available player right now, other than maybe guys that might get released. Yeah. I mean, Bud Dupree, I think would be, I don't, I don't know if I want to go as far as saying a nightmare scenario for them, but look, Bud Dupree, 65% of Bud Dupree's total pressures before he got hurt this year were either unblocked cleanup or pursuit plays which effectively fall under the category of, look, you expect any pass rusher in the NFL to make those plays. They're not wins. They are they're positive plays for a defense, but not because of something you did to defeat a block, just because of the way other things panned out around you. By contrast, like, so uh, the Pittsburgh Steelers defense generally puts players in those situations a lot with one-on-one matchups and with blitzes, but 25% of TJ Watt's pressures were that variety. And even, and his pressures independent of those were significantly better and more fruitful and and more frequent so if you take bud dupree out of their environment where more than half of his pressure was generated by something other than bud dupree plug him into the raiders defense and be like all right do what you do it's not going to be good one other thing to consider here for what they've done uh or what they what could be happening here they just released gabe jackson their starting right guard and this is the tricky part about team building, right? It's not as simple as like, well, the offense was good last year. They're going to be okay. They're losing Nelson Aguilar, who was their most productive receiver. Should they get Will Fuller, by the way? Will Fuller and Henry Ruggs? What do you think of that? I mean, I would assume that they will, they will expect Henry Ruggs to replace Nelson Aguilar. Okay. But offensively, the offensive line is well protected by the quick passing game and Derek Carr's quick release and all that fun stuff. But you lose Gabe Jackson at right guard. They're talking about trading Trent Brown who is uh, a $14 million cap hit. They are near the bottom as far as cap space goes. They are paying, or Marcus Mariota's cap hit is over $11 million, which actually makes him a little bit trickier to trade than, than it seems. Uh, LaMarcus Joyner, do they need to, did they officially release him? Or they're just going to? I think he's, he's going to. So they, they do have... They do have some uh, – Carol Nassib would save not much money. That's nine. Marcus Joyner, by the way, would fix one of their problems in the secandary if they just put him back to the position. Put him a free safety. They yeah. should have been putting him – and he would be a good free safety in the system to pair with Jonathan Abram. Uh, but, again, he's over $11 million. There's just a lot of money in players that um, either are on the trading block or aren't going to be around. My point with the offensive line is if you have to replace Gabe Jackson and Trent Brown on the offensive line, what was a good solid line all of a sudden becomes, okay, that's another place – that we need to address as well. Yeah, I mean, it's very hard to maintain a starting five good offensive line for any extended period of time. And you you need to make some changes. And when you do, it's that constant gamble of whether you're able to do it and maintain a reasonable level. How do you feel about their playmakers if it's Ruggs, Renfro, and of course, Darren Waller, the joker, as Gruden said, the guy you can move all over the place who's fantastic? I think they're good. I mean, I think they're good enough to make an impact. It does rely on Henry Ruggs taking a, a step this year and Plus showing Brian Edwards too. Maybe yeah, and, and showing pick. that he can replace what Aguilar did. But there isn't a reason he can't. I mean, I I was as down on Henry Ruggs last season in terms of the draft as anybody, but he should be able to be the deep threat that Nelson Aguilar was, even if he can't do anything else. So fixing the Raiders interior pass rush. I want Barmore in the first round. Find somebody off the edge. I think cornerback-wise, you're kind of hoping for just second-year steps forward from 
multiple players. Uh, Amik Robertson, mid-round pick, who's solid. Damon Arnett, the first-round pick you mentioned. Like You need some of those guys to get better. Yeah. And you just got to add some, some really good talent back there as well and just see what sticks in the new system. I, I'm all for Sherman. For the Raiders. Yeah, I think it does make a lot of sense. He's also a guy that, you know, they've, people have talked about him potentially moving positions to safety. I mean, maybe Sherman paired with uh, Abram at safety makes some sense, even if he isn't a starting corner anymore. That's just more space to cover that I don't want it is, covering. But it's he, also, again, he knows the game so well. Yes, he can, he can be that player, I think. I, I don't love conceptually the idea of just moving a slowing down corner to safety. I, people make that leap all the time and i don't know if it ever makes a ton of sense because of what you're saying particularly free safety you need those guys to cover ground like it's not a position where you just hide a bad athlete it's a position where you actually need great athletes but sherman understands route concepts and plays and reading the the, the offense so well that he can be three yards further than the average safety just mentally like the first three steps are in his head he's in a different position than most safety so i don't hate the idea for him i think he could play there and be a good plus player just because of how good he is uh, at understanding what's happening raiders we got a little bit better a little bit better <laughs> all right let's wrap it up with the los angeles chargers justin herbert fantastic rookie season we'll see if he can keep that going got some guys to throw to with mike williams keenan allen over there hunter henry's a free agent uh, that's going to be something to keep an eye on if they do try to try to keep him and uh, they've got more cap space than most, te- most teams. They're in the top 10 or so as far as cap space goes. So the Chargers have some options. Also new coach, Brandon Staley, a guy who just ran the Rams defense, turned them into a really good unit by using some unique concepts, single high, two high, play in the run with fewer players. Uh, so you know, there's something to work with with this Chargers team that's always seemingly talented yet underachieving. Yes, um, for the 15th year in a row, the Chargers are the team that we expect to take a giant leap forward to be contenders in the uh, in the West. Hey, that was the Bucks for about 10 straight years, and then it finally happened. They won, a, they won the title. All you need to do is bring in Tom Brady, and suddenly you're catapulted. Chargers tried last year. They tried. <laughs> they did. Uh, Justin Herbert is one of the most interesting aspects of this team going forward because everyone assumes, you know, fantastic rookie season. Next step is getting better in year two and being one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL. But obviously that doesn't always happen. Even recent history shows that doesn't happen. The last, so Justin Herbert set the rookie touchdown record, right? Passing touchdowns. Yep. Um, despite not playing week one, exactly the same story as the last guy that held that record, Baker Mayfield, who didn't start week one. Um, and just like you know, Baker Mayfield, it's year two. He gets even better. Year three is the best quarterback in the NFL. Baker Mayfield falls off a cliff in year two. Everything goes south, doesn't work out, and he has to sort of rescue his career in year three. I'm not saying that will happen with Justin Herbert. I'm just saying that be careful in assuming that Justin Herbert becomes one of the best quarterbacks in the league next year because he was so good right out of the box as a rookie. It might not happen that way. And particularly if you look at the breakdown of his play, it's – it has some parallels to 2017 Carson Wentz in terms of being built on a bunch of things that are very hard to sustain. Yeah, so great under pressure, uh, great on third down, big t- high percentage, big time throws, at least earlier in the year that tapered off already uh, down the stretch a little bit. Again, I was I was way more encouraged than I was discouraged by yes, Herbert's play. Absolutely. So that was great. Um, but you just want to continue to make things easier on him. I also think our, our listeners are very astute too. They were like, hey, they were – 
as much as you used to talk about, we used to uh, defend Russ all the time. Ah, run, run, pass is the, the wrong way to go. And Seattle's putting Russ into terrible situations. There were elements to that with how the Chargers played. So maybe just, um, even though it's not Herbert's strength, really throwing on early downs and spreading it out in short area game, a few more uh, passes and in, in run first type of opportunities could help a little bit. As far as playmakers go, I mentioned Allen and Williams. Tyron Johnson became a pretty good deep threat, especially with Herbert there. Wide receiver three was a big question mark for the Chargers coming into the year. They look pretty good there. They got to figure out tight end, as I said, with Hunter Henry. Offensive line is the annual issue. It is ugly as far as what they have right now. Sam Tevy at left tackle. Forrest Lamp and Dan Feeney are both free agents, right? Trey Turner comes over with a 34 grade. This was the story of the Chargers season, right? They brought in Trey Turner in a trade. They signed Chris Harris. Both guys had the worst years of their career. Harris got hurt. Uh, Turner got hurt too, right? I mean, the, 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 all the players that they were depending on got hurt yeah. or didn't play well. They're another team who you can look at it and say they made a lot of good moves last year. It just didn't work out. There's a, there's a few teams that did that last season where you, but actually, I, you actually applaud the moves they made. You're like, yeah, on paper, that made total sense. And it, it didn't didn't reap the rewards that it should have. Chris Harris was one of them. As I said, Casey Hayward was another guy for years. We were like underrated, mm. underrated. One of the better corners in the league. He has his worst season of his career. You lose Derwin again. Derwin James doesn't play, right? The great Derwin James. Uh, so there are pieces that come back. Now, what, there's a lot of times we say a move is good. Like signing Chris Harris is a good move. But in the back of my head, I think it's good because he's been a good player. But in, you know he's getting older. You know that there's a point where there's a drop-off. You know that there is some inherent risk. So Hayward is the same thing. He entered the league in 2012. Chris Harris came in in 2011, right? I mean, both guys, you don't know how dependable they are going forward. But on paper, we could see them bouncing back because they have a history of being good. If Derwin is healthy, history of being great. So the pieces are there but they definitely need to add more depth in the secondary and figure out that O-line. The O-line is the thing. This is a team, there, it's amazing to me that there are some teams that just seem completely incapable of addressing certain positions. Um, and the offensive line is one that a couple of teams struggle with. The Chargers have been unable to add plus play to their offensive line for the better part of like 15 years. Basically the entirety of Phillip Rivers' career. It's going to be the same thing with Justin Herbert until they figure something out. And Again, it's like even when they make moves that make some sense, that look good on paper, doesn't work. Um, so I don't I don't know what the fix is. Like I can give you some players in terms of offensive linemen that like I would target if I was uh, the Chargers and, and try and upgrade with certainties. You know, Corey Lindsley at center is was the best center in the NFL last year, has been part of one of the best offensive lines in the league for years. Mike Pouncey's retired. Yeah, like that would make some sense, but I can't guarantee that one year in, in uh, Los Angeles with the Chargers and Corey Lindsay doesn't turn to crap. That's what doesn't make sense to me, right? They brought in, they've made good moves before. Brian Bulaga. Um, I, I thought Okung for, for Trey Turner, essentially straight up, was not necessarily a win for the Chargers. A lot of people did because Turner's a really good guard. But he had never graded below 63. And he'd had some peak seasons a few years ago. And he grades at 34, Sam. Like, that's yeah. the thing. Like, they got a guy who should have been solid and uh -huh. he just... You know, I, what is happening in, in Los Angeles with I don't the know. Chargers? So, uh, you know, a Corey Lindsley, whether they go high price in free agency, uh, on a guy like Austin Ryder, take a starting center away from a division rival with the Chiefs, should be a significantly lower price option and has always been pretty good. That would be solid. You know, Matt Filer is the guy we want to send everywhere on the offensive line as a low price guy. 
Steelers who has experience of decent play at two different positions, those are moves that should upgrade their offensive line. But given their history, I can't promise that they will. Yeah, like last year at this time, they brought in Bulaga and Trey Turner. And it's like, all right, that's good. I mean, th those two guys should be good. And both guys didn't perform well and got hurt. Um, Rashawn Slater's been given to them quite a bit in mock drafts. He's the Northwestern tackle who, as we said, there's a lot of people putting him above Panay Sewell in the draft now. A lot of buzz there. Works with Big Duke. You know, they're, they're building the hype for Slater. He might not even be there at 13 overall, but he would be a great fit. Left or, you know, probably starting left tackle right away. Um, so that's the spot. The other spot that's just been this annual sore spot is the interior of the defensive line. You know, they spent the money or spent the draft pick on Jared Tillery a couple years ago. They got solid play from Linval Joseph and Justin Jones, but it's not like you're sitting there saying, okay, we're, we're feeling good here. And we don't know much about Brandon Staley, but we do know his one year as defensive coordinator, he had Aaron Donald. He had a guy and he expects a lot or he asks a lot of his interior defensive linemen. That could definitely be a spot that they, uh, they look to address at least somewhere in the draft or free agency. Which is not a good year for that in either the draft or it's free not. agency. So I mentioned Sheldon Rankins early in the in the pod for somebody. Mm. Um, I think guys like that, you know, get get some young guys that have shown potential that can be a long term option that are you know in the hundreds on our draft board, but still potentially good players. Or snag a guy, snag a guy like um, Shelby Harris, who's always been a consistently good player, albeit one that probably is never going to thrive as an every down, you know, pure uh, bell cow, I guess, as a defensive interior guy, but as a as part of a rotation is always a, a plus positive player. Again, chip away at your opposition, right? Take a player away from Denver within the division and bring him over. Uh, Leonard Floyd is another interesting name. He just played for Staley. He's a free agent. We think he might get more money than expected. I like Floyd as a player. I hate saying he's going to be over. But he's just a good, solid player plays the run well he's actually unbelievable in coverage for a 6-6 guy like the way he plays in space I like Floyd a lot you have Melvin Ingram now as a free agent as well Joey Bosa is your one locked in edge I wonder if they would look at Leonard Floyd to replace Melvin Ingram and be the guy opposite Joey Bosa Floyd has done a nice job picking up you know sacks and pressures when he's got somebody like a Khalil Mack on one side or he's got an Aaron Donald on the interior, Floyd might be the guy with the familiarity that makes sense for the Chargers as well. I would just want to make sure that's at the right price and you're not overpaying for him. So a couple places they could go. What about tight end? Try to lock up Henry or just, you know, the David and Joku's of the world that might get released or OJ Howard's of the world that could end up out there. You just kind of it sounds yeah, play the bargain, bargain bin. It sounds a lot like... Uh, Hunter Henry is gone. Like it doesn't sound like he's particularly interested in going back, which is uh, certainly interesting. Um, I don't know. I, tight end is a weird spot in today's NFL. It's almost becoming this this rare um, quantity. There used to be a ton of tight ends in the NFL that were all of good quality. Now there really aren't that many plus players. But if if Henry's flying the coop, um, like Jono Smith is the guy that we talked about in Tennessee, potentially escaping and, and being available. Are they a team that is interested in a guy like Gerald Everett, who's never really lived up to his athleticism? Ooh, and I like and that. Hasn't been as productive, um, but he's like the third tight Ram. end on our free agent rankings, former Ram connection. Maybe they try and unlock the athletic potential that's there, and that would be a nice pairing with um, with Justin Herbert. I, I don't hate that. Or you just try and like patch it together and see who you get. 
so yeah, I would keep an eye on tackle in the first round, whether it's Rashawn Slater, Christian Darasaw. Maybe the NFL hates Panay Sewell and he's there at 13 and you have a <laughs> massive win. I, I have Sewell. no idea. Oh, by the way, one tight end option. Like, this is a hell of a retread and the chances of him being, you know, this good going forward are minimal. But Richard Rodgers and like 250 snaps for the Eagles last season at a grade of 90. And it's just like the last time we saw him be good was like five years ago with the Packers briefly before he lost his job. Um, look, the, he's a guy I'm, I'm just saying that will cost presumably nothing, right? Yeah. Be available for essentially whatever contract you put in front of him. And yet the most recent thing we've seen from him is like elite tight end play. So why not give it a shot? Uh, just to wrap it up on the Chargers, I could see them taking a big step forward just by having Staley, new system, and health in the secondary health would you ever it, he just had jalen ramsey there would you ever try derwin at, at corner? corner wow jalen wasn't in this system he's you're not playing a ton of press man it's not a lot of bump and run stuff it's a lot of off reading the quarterback yeah he matched up with dk metcalf and all that stuff would you ever try derwin at corner just to see. I mean, is it just like we used to say? You know, well, try already kind of. I mean, you saw the training camp videos last year, right? He's going one on one with Keenan Allen and mirroring him, the best, arguably the best route runner in the NFL. And Derwin is getting interceptions on training camp throws. Yeah, that's not easy to do. Like Keenan Allen was lighting opposing cornerbacks on fire, let alone his own safety. So what I'm saying is, they're already sort of doing one on one drills where he's doing that anyway. I mean, here's the move, right? Nasir Adderley's there. He's underwhelmed a little bit. John Johnson was fantastic in the Ram system. He's a free agent. Bring in John Johnson, th the third. Let him play safety. Move Derwin to corner. Wow. And then the potential upside of Derwin and Casey Hayward and Chris Harris at corner. Michael Davis is a free agent. He likely walks. That's what you're going to try to do. And you fall. your fallback is, oh, okay, sorry, I got Derwin at safety. It's okay. Yeah, I mean the one concern at this point, uh, at this stage you need to be to, on the field. Right yes, now. <laughs> at this stage your bigger concern is just can we get Derwin playing football? Like let's deal with where he plays later on. Let's just get him on the field um, because that is becoming a bigger problem than nothing. Like 2018 plays a thousand snaps. 2019 we see him for 300 before he uh, misses basically the entirety of the first three quarters of the season, and then last year doesn't play. Um, so yeah, let's, let's just get him out there before we move him to number one corner and hope he can be Jalen Ramsey. Oh, I love you, Derwin. Keep playing football. Just get out there, get healthy, go play football. Don't care what position it is. Yeah. Defensive weapon. There we go. Hypothetically fixed the chargers. Either way, uh, the chargers made the right moves last year. Cause they were just like corner, 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 find ways to cover. It's how you have to approach the AFC West, find ways to beat the Kansas city chiefs. That's what all three non-Chiefs teams should be doing and the Chiefs should be getting playmakers to make life more difficult for those other three teams pretty simple we should have just said that at the top a crisp couple hour show once again Sam fixing every team in the AFC South and the AFC West will hit the NFC next week on Monday and Thursday and then boom we're into just free agency world aren't we nice couple extra shows here and there do you want to drop an extra one next week maybe um we'll certainly be dropping one during free agency we need to still figure out what it looks like outside of that the people are asking for more so we'll get through these fixing your team in under an hour per team and then we'll we'll get into all the free agency discussion so stick with us a lot more coming along and uh, go check out the pff nfl daily go subscribe if you haven't done it already thanks to everybody for tuning in we'll see you monday